Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello, partygoers, and welcome to this bi-weeks episode of The Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And did it, if I sounded like I was hesitating, it was because I was speaking and I couldn't remember what I was supposed to say. Your name but and the name is, of the show. This is, this is The Listening Party. to the listeners. I did all those things, but I had to do them very carefully. Right. As if I was walking with bare feet through glass. Gotcha. Sounds dangerous. So this week, everyone... It's a kind of special show this week because we have, on the advice of our health, our medical officer for the, for our province, the province of British Columbia. Dr. Bonnie Henry. Dr. Bonnie the Henry. fantastic Dr. Bonnie Henry. Yes, the calm in the eye of the storm. Yes. She has, uh, well, I guess the eye of the storm is calm, but she's the eye, the calm eye of the storm, I should yes. say. Yes. Uh, she's asked us to widen our social bubbles. Mm-hmm. And now Mary has come back. She's returned to the fold. She's back yes. in her house. She's welcome once again. Yep. Unlike before when I kicked her out into the street. True. I had to, <laughs> I came to pick up, or to drop off my tax stuff, and I wasn't allowed in the house. Well, you know. I know. Better safe than sorry. No, you're right, you're right, I get it. But now I'm allowed in the house. Yes. We're widen. We're widening our bubble. So Mary is is back in the rumpus room, or I should say, in Stu Stu Studio is yes, a sign the here. Yes, Stu Stu Studio. So Which I proudly. missed so much. <laughs> Did you miss it? Well, I missed being in the same room. Yeah. For the recording. That's right. It's weird to not be. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, today we're recording in the middle of a torrential typhoon. <laughs> Dad has ensured me that the sound will be taken out. Yeah, I don't think but it is. But it is actually so loud that I can barely hear Dad <laughs> speaking. Very, and It's very noisy. Partly because we don't have any... Because of the nature of the studio we record in. Yes. A.K.A. the shop. A.K.A. the Stussy Studio. Stussy Studio. Uh, it, because we had a leaking roof here, all the, all the insulation was taken out of the ceiling of the shop. So there's nothing between us and the tarp that's above us mm-hmm. with the rain rattling down on it. Yeah. And so, uh, and it is, it's a very nice sound. I love that sound. Me too. I find it very comforting. Um, but it's n- not ideal recording conditions. <laughs> it's not ideal recording conditions. Add to the fact that in the shop, as it sounds right now, I'm painting our cupboard doors. Yes. So they're stretched out on two by fours across the entire room. And so Mary and I have both had to crawl in here. Yeah. Like we were in in the uh, the movie, The Great Escape. Yes. To yep. try and get into uh, this recording. The, right. the recording cockpit, let's call it. Yeah, is sure. a circle area here. So, I was yeah. considering crawling in through the window, but it's <laughs> raining. I cannot express to you how much it's raining. Yeah. I, yeah. I When I came out here, it was not. it's not very far to get from the house to the studio. And my jacket, I, it's still it's still wet. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, there you go. That's our meteorological report for this episode. Well, I think I think that people underestimate how much it rains in Vancouver. Mm, it is possible. It is a not unnatural, but an uncommon amount of rain that we get here. Yeah. Well, we live in a, t- a temperate rainforest. We forest. live in a temperate rainforest. But I used to work at an um, an outdoor equipment co-op. Yeah. If you live in the States, um, it's much like REI, but okay. ours is called MEC. Um, and I worked there for quite, or for about six months, and I worked selling backpacks. That was one of the things that I sold. Okay. And backpacks are not waterproof. 
generally. <laughs> yeah. They can be, and a lot of them say waterproof, and I'd often have to explain to people that it rains here more than it rains anywhere else. Okay. So if they were testing it somewhere else, it would probably be fine with their amount of rain, yeah. but not with our amount of rain. I see. Because our amount of rain can soak through anything in a couple minutes. Pretty much. That's um, true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Waterproof coats here are never waterproof. No. No, not really. Yeah. They say waterproof, and then you take them out into the... And there's always a limit. Outdoors, and you discover... Like this tarp that we have, which is supposedly a waterproof tarp. Well, yeah, it starts off waterproof, but I think it's been up there for a couple of years now. And so over time, the... The water, the waterproof material washes away. Right, it's, it's washed off of it, yeah. or scratched off of it by dogs walking on it, mm-hmm. or chickens walk, walking on mm-hmm. it, and the chicken poo probably doesn't help either. So there's a lot of factors not, to this yeah. poor, uh, poor old tarp. And also, um, now the rain today is kind of off-putting because ideally we would have some sun for the next few days, and mm. we would be getting our new deck. Right. So cover the next time on, that we record, yeah. we'll have a deck. We'll have possibly have a deck. Yeah. Depending, it's all based on the weather though, because they yeah. cannot remove the tarp mm-hmm. and replace some of the boards above us mm. while it's pouring rain out. Mm-hmm. Because they can't, they can't obviously apply the. Uh, Makes sense. Oh, so can't. that's our deck talk. <laughs> this is right. <laughs> Usually reserved for a sneaky dragon, but we gave it a little sneak preview this week. Everyone. Yeah. So, Mayor. Yes. Father. Uh, we're starting a new mixtape. Yeah, we are. This is. For Pierce Johnson, we we went through his last one, and mm-hmm. this is our second mixtape. He sent he sent me two CDRs, right, requesting me to fill them with songs, and I feel like this CDR, the theme of this CDR is, this is the CDR when Dave ran out of songs. What really? That's what it feels like to me. Hmm. It feels like I'm just kind of like, well, I guess this will go here. I guess this song will go here. Like normally, I can look at the CD and I can be like, those are there's some songs like that on all the CDs, obviously, right. But there's other songs where I'm like, I really want people to hear this song. This mm-hmm. song is so great that I just have to put it on a CD. Right. And everyone has to hear mm-hmm. this song by whoever. Right. Not so much this time, I feel like. Really? Yeah. Huh. So I thought there was good songs. I'm glad you think that. I'm glad you I think mean, that. we'll talk about it more in depth. Yes. But, you know. Yes. But I just, I'm just talking about my overall, my overall um, thoughts of, of this mixtape. Because, you right. know, I'm coming to it after, like, I'm not exactly certain. I could look it up when it was done. Uh, I have it recorded somewhere, but but I'm assuming it was probably around in 2016. Mm-hmm. So no, that's four years ago. So I don't remember what I did either. So so uh, it's it's interesting. Let's put it that way. I think it's good. Like I think there's good songs on it. I agree with you. But it's just kind of it's a little bit more. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel that coherent to me. Although there are some there are there's a repeating theme. Okay. But there's a repeating th- theme from the start of each side. So we really right. can't. We'll have to talk about it next time more, I guess. Hmm. Okay. But um, overall thoughts on it? Good. You liked it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, let's... Are you saying you didn't like it? Hmm. Oh. Yeah. Strange. Okay. Well, we'll talk about it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like this side a lot. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I feel like side two, I kind of was falling apart in front mm-hmm. of my very eyes. I have not yet listened to all of side two. Oh, so you listen to side one once? What? Or do you just repeat no, side... No, I just repeat side one. Oh, okay, so okay. Because, um, I mean, this one I only got last week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, try to focus more on the p- stuff that we're going to be listening to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to listen to the whole thing over and over again, so... Mm-hmm. But it does take time, obviously. Uh, okay, well, let's start then. Okay. 
Unless you have some some words you'd like to say. Mm, nope, I'm good. That was a word. Oh, those were th- three words, everyone. Okay, well now I'm good then. Oh my goodness, all these words. I know. After you I said did you didn't have anything have so to much, say, I didn't say I had so much. To you say. had so, you said nothing to say, and now I you've been talking the whole time. You're continuing was, to talk, Mary. I said that I was good. Uh huh. And then you called me out on that. <laughs> Maybe what I wanted to say was I'm good. <laughs> Pretty. Okay. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> all right. Do you have anything else you'd like to say? She, she shook her head, everyone. She's not falling from my <laughs> trap. <laughs> Let's give a listen to our first song. This is uh, this is The Nerves from, I believe, 1977. I could look it up. I have it written down in the notes that are... You do. But mere a ha- arm's length away. I could pick them up right now. Could. And theoretically look at them, but I can't quite reach them while still talking. Okay. So let's give a listen to this song. This is uh, You Keep Me Hanging on the Telephone by The Nerves. Here we go, everyone. I'm in the phone with this one across the hall. everyone we're back small and correction what song was that this was uh the nerves hang and what year was it what, was, uh, what year was that song from it was from uh 1970 what? Sorry, what was so, it? Uh, it was from 1970 and so <laughs> and i also got the title wrong which is just hanging on the telephone and to be honest with you i spelt it wrong in the uh notes it says hanging of the telephone oh so it's a totally different story that's about <laughs> the time that telephone was hung yeah it's a sad song it's a yeah. more of a folk song the hanging of the telephone was sad <laughs> to see that the day it was done is that a folk song yeah that sounds more like a <laughs> don't call me out what are they what are those things those like that like 12th century rhyme oh okay well that's a folk song is that a folk song yeah that's a folk song to us now there are songs of the people. Oh. Those are folk songs. Okay, I thought you were saying folk music. But yeah, no, I guess like a folk, like a ballad. Yeah. Like a ballad. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you like listen to like folk. British folk music of the 60s, yeah. they're not singing Appalachian. A madrigal. 
Yeah, okay. But that's what they would, those are the kind of things they would sing in the, you know, like. Right. Yeah, you, know, you get Norma Watterson or whoever. Mm-hmm. Shirley Collins. Temple. What's that? Shirley Temple. I may, be, I may have the name wrong, but not Shirley Temple, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they'd be singing like, they'd be singing old English songs. That'd right. be their, that's their folk music. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to be singing, you know, American folk music. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, Mare. Father, yes. So, uh, The Nerves. Any thoughts on, on this band? I thought it was a good song. It is a very good song, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot of it's fun. fun. Yeah, yeah. That's your note? That's my note. Yeah, I don't know the <laughs> band. I don't I don't yeah. recognize the song. Okay. Um, I just liked it. Yeah, well, that's yeah. good. That's kind of fun. Good, I thought it was a good starter. Yeah, that's what I wanted. Uh, and I think, yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. The, the Nerves are kind of uh, what you could call a seminal power pop band, I suppose, or... Or I wrote in my notes, an ur power pop band. Ur? Yeah, you are hyphen the next thing after that. It's kind of a way of saying early. Oh, okay. Or proto. Wouldn't that be E-A-R? <laughs> that's ear. Well, yeah, that's but totally that's how early is spelled. You don't spend early, spell early U-R-L-Y. Yeah, yeah. But no, but it's a different meaning. Than, I mean, it means early or like proto, oh, like the beginning you're of... you're saying it's not like a... Yeah. Okay. Like okay. seminal, you know, it means like an early, ba- like a band at the beginning of the movement, right? Sure, right. And that's what right. the nerves were. Like, there was very little in the way of the nerves before the nerves started playing. Oh, okay. And they kind of, they kind of uh, were part of the spearhead of the power pop movement that kind of made it very popular oh, okay. in the late 70s. That's cool. And what year was the song from again? This song was from 1970. Blah, blah, blah. And so, uh, <laughs> now, I have it, my version uh, comes from the the Rhino Records. Uh, they put out some compilations in the early 90s called DIY. And the, and the DIY um, compilations kind of straddled uh, British punk, some American punk, and then power pop in in uh, England and in, in here as well. So so there's two volumes of the American power pop. There's two volumes of the British power pop. Mm-hmm. There's two volumes of the, the British punk scene. Mm-hmm. And then there's kind of a weird break up here where they do like kind of a concentrated one on Boston, okay, New York, I believe, and in L.A. And I don't have those three, actually. I didn't buy them at the time mm. because I wasn't that interested in those particular scenes. I kind of regret now that I didn't get them at the time but right now that i can't get them anytime i want to right darn it all but yeah. uh but it's at the time to not buy something when it's easy to get it yeah and it just feels like you know like do i need the boston scene but i kind of wish i had the whole collection now obviously because yeah you know i'm a ocd mm-hmm. obsessive type so mm-hmm. but but i bought those ones because are the ones that interested me the most obviously like when i saw like power pop i was just like what Big yeah nuclear explosion came off the top of my head <laughs> you know because they're actually at that time it was really hard to find power pop collections and and things like that like power pop was very briefly popular in the at t- like sort of mid to late 70s okay and it kind of latched itself not didn't latch itself but it was kind of it was kind of bundled by critics and audiences into the new wave scene that was coming out of England hmm. and a little bit here in, in in North America so say a band like Blondie who actually covered this song Mm-hmm. hanging on the telephone and had yeah. a big hit in england with it the number five hit so in england people would be very familiar with this song right but uh, the blondie version right whereas here we're not as familiar with it it was it was i don't even know if it was a single here or if it was released as a single it didn't really have much impact it was on their album parallel lines which was a breakthrough album but for some reason it didn't really like have it wasn't like a big big hit here it was more like a kind of underground smash right as, as it was so the nerves themselves were made up of three really talented guys mm-hmm. there was 
the guitarist Jack Lee, who wrote Hanging on the Telephone. Okay. There was the bassist Peter Case, and then the drummer Paul Collins. And all of them wrote songs. So, but they only released one four-song EP in their the, during their time together. Hmm. Um, they came. They were from San Francisco, basically. Although Peter Case was from back east, he was from Buffalo. He moved to San Francisco, and he was living there. He was a street musician performing on the street, and he met Mike Wilhelm, the who played guitar in the Charlatans, who we were talking about a little while ago. And Wilhelm um, kind of took Peter Case under his wing to teach him how to play guitar, and and uh, and then Wilhelm would later go on and, and join the Flame and Groovies um, oh, okay. to fill in for someone else who'd left. And so then he met up with Paul Collins and and uh, Jack Lee. And the three of them formed the Nerves, and they played around San Francisco for a little while. And and Peter Case has a great story of them playing in San Francisco, where they were playing at this hot rod show, and it was being put on for this big time hot rod guy. And I can't remember his name now. It wasn't Big da- Ed, Big, Ed Big Daddy Roth or 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 George. Uh, what's his face? Maybe his name wasn't George. What's his face? But anyway, any of those kind of people that I would I would know their name if I. But it was someone I'd right. never heard of. But he designed these really kind of cool futuristic cars. So anyway, they're at this convention and they're hired to play songs. And so they're doing their first set of the night or the day. And and uh, the hot rod guy himself, this designer, introduces them and he's like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, here's a great band, a bunch of great guys. Here they are, the nerds. And, <laughs> and they play their set, and then everyone turns to to Peter Case. And they're like, didn't you tell him our name? Yeah. And he's like, well, of course I told him our name. Did you spell it for him? He's like, well, no, I didn't spell it for him. Yeah. Okay, you've got to go find him. <laughs> tell him what her name is and make sure you spell it for him. So when we do our second set, he says her name right. So right. he's like, oh, okay, okay. So then he gets him off the stage. He walks across this, you know, across his convention floor. Yeah. Has to like talk his way past all these security officers. Finally gets upstairs to where this, this big time guy is. Yeah. He's there talking to someone else. Yeah. Peter Case walks up and he's kind of standing there. And they look at him like, you know, what the hell do you want? Yeah. He's like, oh, excuse me. Uh, I'm with the band. I just wanted to let you know that we're not the nerds. We're the nerves. N-E-R-V-E-S. Nerves. Guy's like, okay, okay, whatever it goes. Okay, so just remember, the nerves. N-E-R-V-E-S. Yeah, 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 whatever. I got it. I got it. Don't worry. Don't. He's he's walking away. He just kind of yelled across the office, N-E-R-V-E-S. V-E-S. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so he goes back downstairs, back down to the band guys. And then they're yeah. like, did you tell him? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I told him. They go, okay. So then they wait around, you know, they, you know, they, they look around the place and right. you know, hang out and smoke and goof around outside for a bit and then come back in and they're all ready for their second set. They're standing there and then the guy gets on and he goes, here they are for their second set of the evening. This is a great band. I love these guys. They're so fantastic. Here they are, ladies and gentlemen, the worms. <laughs> fair (laughs) so they moved down to la maybe that was a precipitating cause of that they moved down to la and um and there they they basically they didn't have a manager they didn't have an agent they they uh they booked their own shows they self-financed and and booked their own shows actually it was paul collins a drummer he acted as manager he acted as booking agent he would call the clubs and he would arrange shows and he would hire the other their opening acts and stuff like that and uh and then they released um, their first EP, their one, one and only EP, was also self-financed and independently uh, produced and distributed, probably distributed through Bomp, Bomp Records. Bomp? Yeah, they were uh, kind of, um, um, how would you, what do you call them? 
they were kind of like an ex- an exchange, like a like a record exchange. So say Uncle David did this as well. So they heard about No Fun. David David M. David M. No Fun. David M. No Fun. Heard <laughs> they wrote to him and they said, you know, uh, please send us twenty of you know No Fun at the disco and the, the No Fun EP each. Right. And then they and so he sent them to them and then they would distribute them around L.A. or around wherever people wanted okay. them. Right. Cool. And so they would you could independently release a single and then they would distribute it for you gotcha you know and they had like they had a nationwide distribution thing and that's why when when david went to um la with his friend in the late 70s it was at tower records he just took a peep and there there was a no fun section in the tower records cool because bomb records who you know use their use their connections to get the records placed at various places and that's one of the places that, that bought them that's cool yeah it is and so uh, not only were they, you know, doing this whole DIY thing years before people really talked about DIY as a thing, mm-hmm. they were, they also acted as sort of a nexus for the nascent LA punk scene as well. So bands like the Weirdos mm-hmm. or the Dills, okay, um, who later became Chip and Tony Kinman, who later became Rank and File, okay, um, they, you know, they were they got their start opening up for the Nerves at various shows and stuff like that, and then. Um, and so, yeah, this that ethic kind of influenced the scene as well, because then people realized, oh, this is a way for us to, like, we can just make our own records. We can we don't have to go to a, a major label. We can have our own record right. label and stuff like that. And so now there's a problem with being, you know, there's a problem with being that self-contained. So there's no outside producer. There's no manager. And the problem with that is there's no one to act as an arbiter between band members, right? right? So all the pressure for performance is on the band themselves. Mm-hmm. There's no one else that they can blame or dislike. They can yeah. only dislike each other. Right. Right? If they're mad they about something. They can't be like, oh, it's those, uh, yeah. those guys from the record label. That's right. They're, yeah. the, they're the enemy. Yeah, that's there's right. There's no outside enemy. Exactly, yeah. It's just this themselves. And so that put a lot of undue stress on a band that was already stressed with three you know, obviously headstrong guys, talented guys who all wanted their songs to be on their records, you know. And so the first one, it had a song, two songs from Jack Lee and one song from Peter Case and one song from Paul Collins. But really, right. I'm sure that all three of them just wanted all four songs to be theirs. Well, yeah, of course. And so in 1977, they then embarked on a 25,000 mile cross country tour. Sick. In a station wagon. Sounds bad. <laughs> and they got to play, open and play with the Ramones, Devo, Per Ubu, cool. uh, Mink Deville, and other groups. Yeah. Uh, but essentially the tour just broke the back of the band. Yeah. They, Some, I feel like road trips, yeah. um, sailing, and putting together Ikea furniture. Okay. How about a tent? How about a tent? Sorry? How about putting up a tent? No, putting up a tent is easy. Okay. But those three things. Yeah. Uh, make or break a relationship. <laughs> okay. You know. Yeah. How you how you can deal with the the stresses of yes, of, unpredictability. Yeah. Of yeah. not having the things that you need or things going wrong. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, just like taking other people's needs into consideration. Sure. You sure. know, all those all those things you have to be mindful of mm-hmm. when you're yeah putting together IKEA furniture. I remember, sailing. I remember driving. Different. Driving into San Francisco with your mum on one of our very first kind of long trips together, we drove from here down to LA. Cool. And we're going down the we're going down the 101. Okay. And the 101 kind of does what the num what the what the uh, 99 does in here in Vancouver, which is it disappears when it gets oh, to the city. Yes. So we hit San Francisco, and suddenly there was no 101. We were just on a normal road. Yeah. And then we were lost. Right. And so when we had to pull over, 
Mm-hmm. And that's when we had our first map fight. Mm. And pretty much every trip after that, we had at least one map fight, mm. which usually involved one person wanting to look at the map <laughs> over the other person's objections because right. they felt like they could see better on the map exactly what was happening here yeah. and figure it out. You know? Right. Yep. And that's just how it's always been. Yeah, I get that. But that's, that's a, yeah, that's an important. So they must have had a lot of map fights. Probably. In, the, uh, in their 25,000-mile tour. possibly ran out of gas down a dirt road or something, <laughs> yes. which just happens on every road trip. <laughs> I never had that happen, but I like, no, to, I like to buy gas. It happens on every road trip. I know, I don't think so. I, no, I've been on lots of road trips. You've been on lots of road trips with me, Mary. Yeah, and... And we never ran out of gas the whole well, time. Well, and just because I'm, saying. you know, you got to plan ahead. You got to buy your gas before well, you start driving. You know, you like, know, you, you know, you have to think of these things. Sometimes you're going. you can't rely on the person on faith to see, hope the car is going to like not use gas. No, you know? I I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. I don't know if that's that common actually. Well, Mayor. I don't know about that. You know, sometimes <laughs> the person who's driving says, yeah. "Do you think we'll be good till the next gas station?" And then the other person who's not driving, who owns the car, says, "I don't know. I just bought this car two weeks ago, maybe." <laughs> and then they keep driving, and then. Maybe the person who's driving has a rule on road trips where you can't turn back. Uh oh. And maybe the next closest gas station takes you down a dirt road. Oh, oh dear. And then that dirt road is much longer than it was supposed to be on the GPS <laughs> and the signs. <laughs> and then maybe you run out of gas. Hmm. I don't know if that's that common. I think it happens to everyone. That never happened to me. My well, I'm just not saying it's hap- I'm Not saying it's not happened to me. As you, you know, know we we drove we drove around England a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do we run out of gas? Can't say if I remember doing that or <laughs> it did or didn't happen. Not, not doing that. I mean, I don't remember it not happening. Yeah, that's so. right. You, you remember it not happening is what you mean to say. <laughs> so uh, after their tour in 1978, the band the the band broke up, hmm. and uh, Peter Case moved to guitar as did Paul Collins, and they formed a band called The Breakaways, and they were together for a short time. And then they broke up. I wonder if that is like a common name for people who break up from a band and start another band. That's right, because there's those those female singers. Yeah. They were talking about uh, who sang on the um, Burt Bacharach song. Yeah. Don't uh, don't Go Breaking My Heart. Mm -hmm. That's right, they were The Breakaways as well. They were like, we're going to break away and start our own thing. (laughs) The very unique name of The Breakaways. (laughs) That's right. We're going to be entirely ourselves. The Breakaways Band. <laughs> the Breakaways. It's a book. Is oh, there a band? Is, is there a long disambiguation? Dis- Breakaways were an English female vocal trio formed in 1962. That's true. <laughs> Nothing else? I thought it would be a more common name than it is, right? Yeah. Oh, there's also a high energy indie rock trio. Okay. Who specialize in playing weddings and corporate events throughout the UK and Europe. <laughs> right. There's Peter Case and Paul Collins, The Breakaways. Yeah. There's a Sydney-based cover band, The Breakaways. Okay. There's a band from Washington, D.C. called The Breakaways. Um, Bra- Breakaways R&B band from New New Plymouth, New Zealand. Huh. Wow. Meet dot 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 The Breakaways. It's four guys. <laughs> this one's the one from... No, this is a different one from Australia. Oh, okay. Wow. Yep. <laughs> oh, also an Irish one. If you met the band from Australia, you, th- you would think they were called the Brickaways. Right. Or maybe that's a New Zealand band. I think it's the same. <laughs> oh, don't say that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, guys. Sorry, Australian <laughs> listeners. And New Zealand listeners. And New Zealand listeners. Um, yeah, so then the Brickaways broke up, and Peter Case formed a group called the Plimsolls, and then Paul Collins formed a group called the Beat. And his band, The Beat, is the reason that the British group, The Beat, became the English Beat when they were sold here in 
in North America. So there. So there. Um, and like I was saying, so a year after the nerves broke up, um, Blondie covered "Hanging on the Te- Hanging on the Telephone," which, like I say, was a, num- a number five. And they also covered another song by by Lee called "Will Anything Happen" on the same album, uh, which they which Blondie claimed that um, future Gun Club member Jeffrey Lee Pierce uh, introduced the introduced them to on a mixtape that he gave them it had that song on it and so they really liked that song and they covered it and then uh that same year jack lee had a song on a Susie quattro album which i think because both parallel lines the blondie album and Susie quattro's album were both produced by mike chapman and so he uh he used um that song uh he obviously liked jack lee's songs and then uh jack lee also contributed three songs to this album by this british singer named paul young on an album called No Parlay, or No Parlay, I should say, uh, there was like a huge seller in the 80s, like 3 million copies were sold worldwide. Mm-hmm. So I imagine he's doing rather well with, with song ro- songwriting royalties. I bet. Because he doesn't really, hasn't really done that much o- outside of that. Like, there was a brief reunion of, of Collins and Case touring as The Nerves. Okay. But Jack Lee didn't want to take part in that. Mm. Uh, and in fact, I think they did 28 dates together, and then... There was some kind of bust up, and Peter Case left Paul Collins behind in St. Louis, and they continued continued on the tour without him. So, the nerves mm. couldn't even didn't even have the nerves to continue as oh, the nerves. Not even the nerve. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I guess they were the worms, after all. <laughs> Let that be a moral to you, everyone. <laughs> okay. Well, that's enough about the nerves. Yeah. They're what's, pretty. They're pretty our, good. What's our second song, Dad? Our second song is by a group called Fire. Okay. And this song is called "Father's Name Is Dad," mm-hmm. and it's from 1968. Okay. And I think it's a really great song. So let's give it a listen. Let's everyone. hear it. <laughs> Why should everything be made? 
Okay, so we're back, everyone. That was uh, Fire mm-hmm. with Father's Name is Dad. I think that title probably ranks up there as most obvious song title of all time. <laughs> what do you think? Um, in that, yes, your father's name is Dad? Yeah. I mean, I think it's like kind of more than that, though, right? I think it's about how like your parents have identities past being just your parents. Is that what it's about? Well, I mean, that's what father's name is dad, mother's name is mom. That's what that implies to me. Yeah. Right? It's like your parents have identities past just being a parent. Yeah. But to you, that's kind of like, that's who they are. Yeah. You know? Hmm. So it's like, even though like your name is David. Yeah. Your name to me is dad. Yeah. Right? Because that's, that's who you are to me. And that's who my initials are. Well, okay. Yeah, that too, I guess. But it makes it less special. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I could never understand like why parents would want their children to call them by their their name, their first name. Right. Because it's like you're David to everyone, I'm but David you're only everyone. dad to two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like you think you want to highlight how the specialness of our connection to each other, not mm-hmm. not further distance yourself from your children. Yeah. Please call me David. Yeah. Well, I remember not Dave, David. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was a kid, you said to me, um, "We're not friends." I'm your dad. And that's better because friends can go away, but your dad will always be there. Oh. Right? That's nice. And of it's you like that, that <laughs> what? That was nice of me to say that. <laughs> it was. Um but yeah, and I mean, I feel like you guys never really had that like, oh, you know, we want we just want to be your buddy. Right? Which like parents do sometimes. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's kind of it's always to me been kinda of like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> And I think it's because of that. <laughs> but I've been watching um, Modern Family. Okay. So it was added to Netflix, which is a terrible show. Is that right? Yeah. Huh. This is not very good. I don't know. It was very popular, wasn't it? Yeah. Super popular. I've never seen it. It's, I don't know. I know that um, uh, Elliot of the Flophouse, yes. another podcast, yes. he said that he can't, he watched it for a bit, but then couldn't watch it because he said, why do these people... Uh, talk to each other like they hate each other mm. like they're supposed to be a family yeah but like every interaction that they have is just like they hate each other yeah and it's true right like well, that's modern sitcom writing yeah unfortunately yeah like the parents hate each other they hate their kids yeah. they hate their parents they hate their their siblings and their sibling spouses like mm. it's just do you think that's from arrested development do you think that that show kind of brought a kind of a sort of at the time it seemed very cool that it that the family was at such so dysfunctional but yeah now you're just kind of like, does every family have to be dysfunctional? Yeah, Can't and I mean, some family like be like a happy family. Like the point of Arrested Development is that they're all terrible people. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like whereas a show like Modern Family, you're not watching it thinking like, oh, Phil's such a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. like he's always like ogling his wife's um, mother, stepmother. Okay, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like you're not supposed to think that you're supposed to be like, oh, Phil, he's just like a puppy dog, right? But um, <laughs> w- when you're watching Arrested Devel- Development, yeah, and Lucille says things like. It's a banana, Michael. What could it cost? Ten dollars? You're supposed to be like, what a terrible person. Like, she's out of touch with reality. Yeah, yeah. Right? Or like, yeah, like everything Tobias says, Lindsay's whole, like, attitude, all of Job, you know? Like, they're all, like, <laughs> terrible people. Yeah. In, like, different ways. And, yeah, you're even Michael. Yeah. Who acts like... He's, he's like, such a good guy. Yeah, he acts like he's such a good guy. He's, like, as bad as the rest of them, if not worse. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's a... He's pa- a narcissist. Passive, he's a passive aggressive <laughs> yeah. narcissist where the rest of them are like just aggressive aggressive. He like yeah. tries to hide his aggressiveness. And like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the rest of them are like, you know, in a lot of ways aware that they're terrible, but yeah. he 
is not aware that he's terrible and also acts like he's better than them when like he's consistently like not listening to his son yeah and like um yeah and i feel like a big problem with the fifth season was that they made michael's terribleness way more overt okay right rather than having it be a thing where like you could watch the show and come away from it being like, Michael's a good guy. He's the only good guy. Yeah. But then if you like really pay attention to it, you're like, no, he's not. He's not a good guy. Um, Interesting. But yeah, in the fifth season, you're like, oh, Michael, he's the worst. Um, I mean, if that was your final season and you're using that as like a way to kind of as a resolution to the to the series, that would right. be good, I think. Yeah. To kind of have like a, a revelation of his true awfulness. Right. And some sort of massive betrayal. That Yeah, where it's like him and his son are dating the same girl. Is that what happened? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, he moves into his son's dorm room mm. for a while because he's just got nothing going on. <laughs> <laughs> and like, huh. yeah, it's, it's still, and then when he gets kicked out, he's so like, he, he can't think about how, you know, he just doesn't think, he's not a person who thinks what how his actions affect other people. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, modern families like that. Mm. You know, it's just like. No good. No good. <laughs> no good. But yeah. And one of the things on that. I've heard is, good things about it though. And I. I mean. I think I tried to watch a little bit of it, but I couldn't. Uh... Is that yeah. the one with Sofia Vergara? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it was like the dad gay? Is that the, no, no. The so it's the, um, so the concept for it is there's a dad, yeah. his much younger wife okay. and her like 10-ish year old kid okay. when the show starts and then his two adult children. Okay. Um, so he has an adult son who's gay. Oh, okay. And is in like a long term relationship with his common law partner. Okay. This is before gay marriage was legal in the states. Yeah. And the and the first episode, his uh, the son and his partner adopt a baby girl. Oh, okay. From Asia. I see. I think Korea. I don't remember. Um, and then he has a daughter who's married, and they have three kids. I see. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. But it's not good. Well, you know that was always my objection to um shows like Hannah Montana was just how much the characters hated each other yeah as a show like i just didn't think that's a healthy way for kids to see relationships mm-hmm. oh totally <clears throat> and i mean a lot of kids already don't have very good um like models for relationships you know yeah yeah but i mean i think that a lot of that stuff sort of goes back further than even arrested development oh terrible behavior and shows you mean? well you just just like people like i mean that i think it's sort of a lot of comedians are kind of like coming around to disliking that sort of humor now but that sort of like my wife is terrible humor mm-hmm. has been around for for quite a while mm, yeah, right yeah and it's like um yeah and a lot of comedians are sort of coming around and being like no like my wife is great and i love her right <laughs> and like john mulaney does a lot of that kind of stuff okay um yeah rather than yeah, but his wife is way bigger than him like more famous no just physically larger than him he's a very oh, small like man intimidating he's a small man right like he has to watch his back right you know i don't think so um <laughs> and uh uh-huh. yeah and just i'm just saying i have trouble with the i think believing it's honest right you know yeah because you are a person who cannot understand seriously loving your spouse no, no, I seriously love my wife. No, I know. But I'm much taller than her. Oh. So it's like an honestly, an honest relationship, right? right? Because you could beat her up. If I wanted. Right. Probably not, actually. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. That woman <laughs> rides horses, Dad. <laughs> yeah, she could write, she could write the floor with me. Let's face it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just joking. I know. Um, no, I do prefer that. I prefer... I mean, I don't think you should get rid of all that kind of humor. 
because that's just ridiculous. It's still, it can still be funny in, in situations, sure. but it just is like a constant trope. It's tar- yeah. It becomes tiresome. Yeah, and it's just one of those things where it's like, if you hear people and like they never have a single positive to think about to say about their spouse yeah you're like like what's the point you know (laughs) like there's actually um there's all these like facebook tag groups for it yeah like why get married if you hate your spouse okay and like that relationship sounds exhausting Mm. versus people who are like oh like my wife's such a jerk (laughs) she never lets me go and hang out with the boys every night while she takes care of our 18 children that kind of stuff you know (laughs) It's a lot of kids. Yeah, it was. Uh, Seems unbelievable. A large amount for comedic. Is... It was an exaggeration <laughs> for comedic effect, Dad. Thanks for calling me out. <laughs> is, 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 you're just. It's just that one family you're talking about, right? Yeah. It's that one really large family that had a TV show for a while. Oh, the Duggars. I think they had like twenty-two or twenty-three kids. I don't know. It's too many. Uh, at some point, it's showing off. Well, yeah. There was a point where they they all said like God will let us know when we've had when we have enough kids. Okay. And then. The doctors were like, you can't have any more kids. Like, your body is going to collapse um, because you can't have any more kids. And she was like, I'm going to keep having kids. And I was like, is that not your sign? sign? (laughs) Well, like I say, they're just showing off at this point. Yeah. They're like showing off how many J names they know. (laughs) They're like, this is James and this is uh, um, Jamie. (laughs) They should have named them all Dave. Yeah, they should have. Would have been easier. And it would have been a great tribute to Dr. Seuss. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's get on with... Uh, so what did you think of Fire Mare? I thought it was good. You enjoyed it? Yeah, it was a good song. Yeah, it's a very good song. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of Who-like, I think. It's kind of mm, have that yeah. kind of sound of, of, of sort of the... Probably the Who wouldn't have been playing in this style by 68, but this band is kind of like, oh, I really like that style that Who was playing in last year. Let's keep the, keep it going. Right. Although it's so... You know, it's so hard with bands like... Like a band song like... My father's, uh, our father's name is Dad. Is mm-hmm. it's hard to know when they wrote it, you know, like right. from when they were discovered to when, you know, they de- demoed the songs when they got yeah, to the studio. Totally. Like it could have been that they had like written it and been performing it in local venues for like five years. Yeah. By the yeah. time that someone was like, "Hey, that's a good song," like someone <laughs> with like clout who could, yeah. you know, like bring them someone who knew someone who could bring them to a record label and be like, "Yeah, put this yeah. song, or make least- it." At least someone who had some money that could fund demos right. for them. Or could, what, yeah, you know, or whatever. whatever. So that's kind of what happened with them was they started off as a band called Friday's Child. Okay. Now, I've, in two different uh, articles I was reading about them, one spelled it Friday as a normal word and child with a Y just to make it psychedelic, man. Sure, yes, of course. The other one spelled Friday with a Y. Friday does have a Y. Oh, two Ys then. Oh, okay. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I appreciated that. No, no, it's fine. No, no, that, no, I appreciate it, Mary. No, I'm just saying. Yeah, I, it's great. It's I was great just that I clarify. No one likes it more than me to be corrected. I know, I know that. I especially love when people write in right. and correct me. Yes. For mistakes they make during the show. Yeah. Because I'm speaking off the top of my head. Right. Anyway, I mean, I'm serious about that. Do I sound angry about it? Mm, you're making faces like you're angry. <laughs> the listeners can't see it, but you're making these faces. Do I look like the the characters from the the 1950s? Uh, Canadian National Film Board movie Neighbors. Do you know that movie? I no, I don't know that. Oh, that Canadian National Film Board movie Neighbors. From what year? Sorry, from the fifties. Sometime in the yeah, 50s. I do not know that nineteen fifties Canadian National National Canadian Film Board movie. 
father. I guess it was more current when I was a kid but to be shown. Do you think it was more current yeah. when you were a kid in the 60s, this movie from the 50s, than when I was a kid in the I 90s? Was not, I mean, I was a kid in the 60s, but I was not I was not a, I was not a conscious kid in the 60s. In the sense that I do not remember, I have no memories from the 60s. Okay. My memories are from the 70s. You, you must have memories from the 60s. No, I was only four. You must have memories from before you were four. I have memories from before I was three. Really? Yeah, because we, I was three when we moved here. I have memories from when I, we lived at the townhouse. Well, you know, maybe that makes a difference, but, but I, because I grew up in the same house for so mm. long, you know, I probably it's hard to It's hard to categorize. Them. I don't have any sort of major demarcation point. Right. Really, like one of my earliest memories is me learning to tie my shoes, which is pretty late in my life. Mm. Yeah, you learned that when you were like 17. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Ooh! Got him! Boom! <laughs> 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 I also remember. I was actually thinking the other day when I when I learned to tie my shoes and how yeah. much I hated it. Why? It was so hard. You were so mean. You really made me try. And I was like, I'm just gonna have Velcro shoes for the rest of my life. This is too hard. And you were like, No, you need to learn. And I was like, oh, I don't want to. Is that what I said? I wasn't your friend. I was your dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. One of many times, probably. You're <laughs> okay. going to learn this. Yeah, it was like the first, I think it was like the first time something in my life was difficult. Okay. <laughs> it's like the first time that I like tried to do something and was bad at it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is, this will not stand. I'm just not going to try. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good things to learn, you know. Those are good things to learn. No, it's true. I, I still know how to tie my shoes. Yeah, they're, the lesson stuck. Yeah, 20 years later. <laughs> still remember. Uh, so yeah, so they've, they, so what happened was, uh, the guitarist in the group, Dave Lambert, was at home one night, and his a friend of his, this guy named uh, Bob Voice, mm-hmm. who, by the way, wasn't the singer in the group, was not. No, hmm. he played drums. Oh, but he gives he gives Lambert a call at home. Okay, and he says, "Hey, what are you doing?" And he goes, "Not much." He says, "Listen, a band was supposed to play here tonight, but they didn't show up." Oh, okay. And so, do you want to come down and play your guitar? Like, we'll just do some like standards that everyone knows, right? And and we kind of fun, and so. And so uh, Lambert was kind of like, well, I don't know, because he said, I was actually really tired because I'd been, I had just got home from my, re- rehearsing with my pipes band. <laughs> okay. And then, and so then he, but you know, he went, he got a, packed up his guitar and he went down to this pub and they put in a little show. They filled in for the group that didn't show up and they were really popular. Like people really liked them. And so like, hey, maybe we should start a group together. So they, uh, he had met another guy who was trying to sell his bass on his bass, his, his amplifier to Lambert. Lambert goes, oh, I know a guy has a bass and an amp. Mm. So we should go over there and talk him into joining the band. So they convinced this guy <laughs> to join the group as well. They convinced him out of selling so his, his, amp. his yeah. amp into joining a band. That's exactly great. <laughs> this guy should have gone into sales. <laughs> <laughs> so that guy's name was Dick Dufall. And so he joined on bass. And so I guess they got managers and they made some demos. And these demos, um, well, what? so they made the demos. And so... Then Apple Music was interested in them, not in signing them as as a recording act, mm-hmm. but they were signed to Apple Publishing. And so when they took the the uh, demos to Decca Records, Decca, of course, who are famous for having uh, um, refused the Beatles, like they right. turned, they turned on the Beatles. Oops. Dick Rose, named will live forever in infamy, poor guy, because really his. It's like yeah, them them the people who turned down um, Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah um. <laughs> that's right. And I mean, it's like, we've never seen Harry Potter before it was edited. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
we if you've ever heard the demo tapes that the Beatles were shopping around, it's hard not to blame anyone for saying <laughs> no. I mean, it's not they're not that great. No, no, it's true. Like it's you you have to be uh, you have to be able to sort of see the diamond inside. You know, the... it's that, or you have to turn up at a label like Parlophone, which desperately needed a rock and roll act right. because all they had were a bunch of comedy records. Okay, yeah. And so they're like, we we really need a, a rock act. And so when someone comes through the door with a, with a band, they're kind of like, well, I guess so. Right. I guess we can just give them other people's songs to sing, and they'll be they'll work okay, I suppose. Yeah. Whereas Decca was just kind of like, we already got bands. Plus, guitar bands are on their way out, Dick mm, Rose said. True. Which that was, that it's was, all pipe bands. That's where he looked like, <laughs> that's where he looked like a dummy. <laughs> that's, why they liked, that's why they liked Fire. Because they were, they were like, you know what? I know what guitar bands are on their way out, Dick. Yeah. But this guy also plays in a pipes band. He's like, whoa! <laughs> they were like, guitar on its way out. Bagpipes. <laughs> it's rising. <laughs> <laughs> so... They're like, that's Simon Fraser University and Burnaby just opened up. Like <laughs> a bagpipes band. They're going to be around for the next 50 years at least. <laughs> They're going to need more. <laughs> we did have a bagpipes band at SFU. Yeah. They would practice in the hallways. Wow. In the afternoons. That's a little annoying. Yes. I kind of like the bagpipes though myself. It's pretty annoying when you're in class. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. But you know what? You went to a school that has Scottish... Uh, some sort of Scottish inheritance that it celebrates, I guess. Well, um, Fraser. Simon Fraser, the ex- the Canadian explorer, or not Canadian, but the arguably Scottish explorer. was not named after Simon Fraser, the explorer, but a different Simon Fraser. The university. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. How it's weird. a whole thing. How strange. It's a whole thing. I know. How queer. Yeah. Okay. Um. But all yeah, it's all about Scots. Our uh, mascot is Mick Fogg, the dog, uh, <laughs> Highlands Terrier. Yeah. Whereas a kilt. Yeah. I think we have a, he's a, I don't know if we have like a tartan pattern, but we the might. best, the best part of SFU is the name of their sports team. The clan. The clan. We used to be the Klansmen. Yeah. My, uh, when I, my <laughs> a boss, when I, where I used to work and before I started where I am now, um, she was on, she was on the, the women's softball team. Oh, okay. And they got to go down South to play Ooh. in the United States. Ugh. And at that time they were called the Klansmen still. <laughs> They're like, no, because Scottish families are clans. <laughs> Every person you we meet, don't have, you have to We explain. don't have newspapers in British Columbia. <laughs> they, they just had like a sheet of paper with a printed apology on it. They just handed out to everyone they met. <laughs> yeah. We're sorry. We're called like... the Klansmen. This comes from Scottish origins. <laughs> da, 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 da. The Highland people. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. <laughs> um, because the university was actually originally just going to be called Fraser University. Okay. After this Scottish Fraser, not Simon Fraser. Okay. Okay. But then the wife of the um, the person who was, I think it was like not the dean, but the person who was like um, starting this university. Yeah. Maybe he was going to be the first dean. The founder of the, the university. The provost or whatever. Yeah. Uh, his wife said, "You are not starting university and calling it FU." And they were like, oh, yeah, okay. So they decided to call it Simon Fraser University. Uh, and even though some people were like, well, that's not the Fraser we're naming it after. And they were like, well, he's a Fraser. So we're naming it after him. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good good catch by the wife. Yeah. It's funny when people don't notice that. Yeah. It's like when the Conservative Party in Canada merged and almost became the Canadian Reform, or the Conservative Reform Alliance Party. Yeah. Or I had a friend who used to work at a children's camp. Okay. And she was a cabin leader in training. Hmm. <laughs> Which at um at the camp I was at and yeah. at all, all other camps they're called counselors in training. Yeah. 
C-I-T. Yeah, yeah. So we call them C-I-T's. Yeah. Not C-L-I-T's. <laughs> They're not called that. Camp. Camp in Ontario that this friend of mine worked at. <laughs> oh, innocent people. Yeah. So deck assign them, Mary. This is the long and the short of it. Oh, yeah. Right. Deck assign right. fire. We're talking about a song still. They signed... They had, this time they had changed the name from Friday's Child to Fire. Mm-hmm. They thought that sounded a little bit more with it. Yeah, a little less... A little less hippie. They... Uh, like I said, they had signed a deal with Apple Publishing, which of course was very exciting because Apple was new. The Beatles were great. Everyone was very excited about the idea of Apple as this as this kind of revolutionary concept that was going to like remake modern uh, business practices and how the music industry worked. Blah blah blah, et cetera, et cetera. And not iPod, am I right? I think you're. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so then, uh, Dad. Yeah. That iPod, am I right? Sure. From yeah. Apple. Because mm-hmm. of Apple. Yeah. Yeah, Apple was a technology company founded later on that created major or made computers and also and, iPods. And signed an agreement with, with Apple Music that they would never get into music. Did they? Yeah. Woohoo! Look at us now. <laughs> so then, uh, so now with uh, this producer, his name was Tony Clark. Tony Clark, known as the sixth Moody Blue because of his work with the Moody Blues. Mm-hmm, of course. Uh, he recorded their first single, which was Father's Name is Dad, backed with... A song called Triacle Toffee Toffee World, which sounds like it's a toy. Triacle? Triacle Toffee World, yeah. Okay. I thought it was pronounced Trekle. Is it pronounced Trekle? I don't know. I only read it in Harry Potter. I always thought it was Triacle. If anyone out there knows the correct pronunciation of this word, T-R-E-A-C-L-E, please let us know. Uh, And then, um, yeah, it sounds like Toy Town Psych, and it is Toy Town Psych. You know, it's kind of like a childhood. Google says Trekle. Sure. Treacle, really? Treacle. Treacle. Oh, treacle. Did you hear that? Yeah. Should we do it again? Yeah, no, no. Treacle. <laughs> Thank you. Well, just so the listeners can hear it. Yeah, treacle. Okay. Mm. Well, I was close-ish. You know, Mary, I went through, you know, five years calling ennui, ennui, so it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's fine. Uh, now, the problem for the band was is that they were in the music business, which for many bands, is a problem. Like, music is a lot of fun, and then you put business after it, and then it becomes not fun. And so they ended up, like, Decca was having a lot of internal problems, and so they were kind of unwilling to, to issue this single, even though it's a great single, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Apple had to put pressure on them to release it. Mm-hmm. And then the single was released. It's out. Paul McCartney was driving along, and he heard it on the radio, and he thought, oh, that's not very good. <laughs> that song could be improved. So he had them withdraw the single, re-record it better, and then they reissued it. Wow. Which was a bit of a stumbling block, because of course that's going to slow down your sales. Yeah. Because people are like hearing the song, they're like, oh, I should get it, and then it's not available. Right. So uh, that that was kind of bad. And then, so they continued to record. They were still recording stuff, but everything they were recording was being rejected from DECA. Hmm. And Mike Berry, who worked in publishing at Apple, was also rejecting the songs. And he... Because the reason for this was because he wanted them to record his music. Mm. And so he was insisting they record a song called Round the Gum Tree. Okay. Which. Sounds bad. Is just like as bubblegum a song as you can imagine. Yeah. And pretty much only Dave Lambert would go along with this. He he agreed to sing it. But the rest of the band refused to play on it. Right. And so it was a session musician and Dave Lambert singing this really horrible song. And then the B-side was a song called Toothy Ruthie. It's like, wait, wait, sorry. It's like that um, that scene in Inside Lou and Dave- Davis mm. when he records that um, that Please Mr. Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. Outer space. <laughs> Outer space. It's good. It's such a good song. <laughs> he's like, he's like, look, man, like I really appreciate the work, but who wrote this? <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it should be too should be too picky. Uh, yeah, the B side Toothy Ruthie was was written by their manager, mm. so you can see you can kind of tell from that the band was losing control of their career, yeah. right? And so uh, Dave Lambert essentially retired from the music business. Mm. He said no more of this. Mm-hmm. They got out of their Decca contract. They got out of the Apple Publishing deal. Yeah, they got rid of their management. Mm-hmm. He spent a year writing a an album, mm-hmm. a concept album. Okay. Called The Magic Shoemaker. Okay. Which he then uh, took to Pi Records and they recorded this for Pi. Hmm. Which is good that they recorded it. The problem is they recorded it for Pi and Pi was was uh, the Kinks label. And everyone who worked for Pi suffered from the same problem, which the Kinks also suffered from, which is that there was no money oh. to record things. Right. Like if you recorded for EMI, if you're or Parlophone, if you're the Beatles, mm-hmm. or, you know, and you recorded Abbey Road, you had... The sky's the limit. Whatever yeah. you need. Don't worry. Strings, yeah. fine. Horns, great. Special effects, no problem. Right. Pie records, I don't know. Should we? Can we pay for that? Can we have some strings in this? How about a string? You can have one, <laughs> have one guitar string. So the album didn't get much, didn't get much promotion. And then uh, it came out in 1970. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of too late for Psychedelia. Yeah. And it wasn't quite... It wasn't quite heavy enough to be prog. Right. So it kind of disappeared between, fell between two stools. It's still a good album. Like, it's still good. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, Dave Lambert tells the story to children. There's like children, you can hear them on the record that they're playing, they're talking okay. with each other. Okay. He's telling them a story, and it sounds like they're on a bus. They're okay. like riding on a bus. It's okay. this recorded audio verite. They're not, right. obviously not in a studio. Yeah. And this is like added sound effects. Right. They're on a bus with kids. <laughs> yeah. And he's telling them this story of the Magic Shoemaker. <laughs> and then it's interspersed with songs. It's actually, it's kind of, it's kind of endearing. Uh, I'm gonna play a song from that album now. It's the first song on 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 it, and to be honest with you, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head because I forgot to write it down in my notes, even though I had planned to play it. That's silly. I know, but I get kind of, I'm in a rush sometimes. Mm, that's fair. Well, you, maybe you can tell us the name of the song when we come back from it. We'll come back. Yeah, we'll play it, and then we'll come back, and I'll let you guys know what it's called. So this is uh, gonna be fire from their concept album, the very first song. Uh, this is from the Magic Toy Maker. No, sorry, Magic Shoemaker, sorry.
years ago, and this was hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years ago, there was an old shoemaker called Mark. Mark? Mark. A very strange thing happened one day when he was making some shoes. He just finished a pair of shoes, and they began to talk to him. That's right, they talked to him. What did they say? Okay, so that was uh, Fire from their 1970 album, The Magic Shoemaker, with I'll Tell You a Story. You could hear at the beginning of that, the uh, the kids, the bus. The kids, the bus, yep. So a little bit of fun there. So yeah, that's uh, it's a pretty good album. I don't think it's as... I think they really were great on... My uh, Father's Name is Dad. I think that's just a, a song for, you know, a psych song for the ages. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. It's... It's unfortunate that it didn't get the praise that it deserved. Yeah. So I feel like if it had come out in time and been um, marketed Mm -hmm. correctly, it probably would have, you know, had some success. Sure, sure. Yeah, this is one of those stories of the the 60s. Dave Lambert would go on to play with with a couple of guys, actually, who were guest artists on... Uh, Dave Cousins, uh, mostly, who are guests on, on the uh, Magic Shoemaker, he formed a band with them called the Straubs, and uh, they went on to uh, some pretty good success. So, so at least there's a happy ending there that he got to play. And apparently, he is he has uh, now a ski instructor in Europe. So it's kind of a weird life change, but that's life. It does, takes you places you don't expect. Yeah, that's true. All right, so let's. Um, oh, sorry. And his. Oops, sorry. And his son. Yeah. Went on to win American Idol. Adam Lambert is the son of Dave? No, he's not. I was just oh. joking. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite a turnaround. I didn't. I was like, how did I miss that? <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mayor. <clears throat> no, apparently Adam Lambert's parents were named Leela and Eber. Hmm. And he's, dental... a, and he's American, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. A dental hygienist and a program manager. Hmm. Yep. All right. So, um, should we go to song number three? Yes. Were you surprised when this song came on in the mix, Mary? Yes. <laughs> Were you really? I, yeah, I was. I was surprised that you put it on a mix. You pleasantly surprised, or? Well, we can talk about it. Okay, everyone. This is uh, this is um. Well, let's say this is Rachel Berry and Shelby Corcoran. Sing- uh, well, hold on. Yeah. Should you not credit the people? Well, they don't, and all the information you read about it, Mary, they always list them as their their, their names, character their names? character names. I know it's so well, weird. Silly. This is uh, uh, Idina Menzel and Leah Michelle. With uh, a song from the TV show Glee, this is their cover of Lady Gaga's Poker Face. So let's give it a listen, everyone. I want to hold them like they do in Texas, please. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it. Baby, stay with me. Love the game, intuition, play the cards with spades to start. And after he's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on his heart. Oh, 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 I'll get him hot and show him what I got. Oh, 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 I'll get him hot. Show him what I got Carry my, carry my No, he can read my poker face She's got to love nobody Carry my, carry my No, 
he can't read my poker face. She's got to love nobody. said you wanted to talk about this on the other side so i am prepared for tongue lashing well i'm not going to give you any sort of um scorn reprimand. okay um i i just i don't understand your fascination with this song <laughs> i really think this song is a really good version or i think it's a really good song okay i do I... it's a real showstopper which is why it is on the collection glee the music volume three Showstoppers that so came out in 2010. It didn't come out on the first two, huh? No, it didn't. Put it on the third one. In fact, it didn't even come out on this third one. It's on the only on the deluxe edition. <laughs> That's great. It was only released in Japan. <laughs> That's right. It's only released in Japan on <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, I think I just I prefer the original. You prefer the Lady Gaga one? Yeah. I don't like that version at all. It's a good song. And actually, I didn't, I have ne- I never heard it. When I heard this song, I didn't know Lady Gaga's okay. music at all. And it wasn't until about maybe three or four years after mm-hmm. I heard this version that I heard the Lady Gaga one. Right. And I was very disappointed when I heard it. Mm. I thought I thought it was very tuneless. Mm. That it didn't, that whereas this version really exploits the song's tune and has a dramatic aspect to it, the Lady Gaga version is very mechanical sounding. It's just like a you know. I disagree. I disagree. And then 
It's not like my favorite song, but I think it's a fun song. Hmm. And it was, I think, deservedly popular when it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I just didn't like it at all. Compared to this version, I think this is, I think they have some fun with it. It's based on, like, um, the way that Glee worked was there was this guy named Adam Anders, who at least in the, at this time in this the show's history, was the producer arranger of the music. Okay. Now, every show, every episode of the show, and there is about 24 episodes in a year. 24? Yeah, around there. Yeah. Okay. Not 22? Maybe 22. That's the, that's, that's the, the Qu- average. Is that the average? Okay, maybe yeah. it's 22 shows. Um, and they were hour long, too, weren't they're they? They're an hour long show. There was five to nine so- songs per episode. Oof. So he had eight days between shows to prepare the music for the next show. Hmm. So And he would work he would work a show ahead of time as well, though, because the actors had to have the music recorded right. when they went to, re- to film the show because they had to do the lip syncing. They were just lip syncing? I know. Oh, my God. Not only that, because it was such a rushed process, he would have uh, what were called st- um, stunt doubles. They were session vocalists who would come in and they would learn the parts mm-hmm. and and figure out the... They would figure out the vocal arrangements. Okay. And then sing them. And then those tapes would be given to the actors to learn their parts from That's... then they would come in and they would duplicate what would already been done in the studio that makes sense total sense because the show i mean you only have eight days right you only have eight do... days and yeah. i mean they there's a lot of actors in the show mm-hmm. right like it's it's an ensemble cast yeah right like the i mean if you don't know the sh- if you don't know what we're talking about yeah maybe we should clarify sure because i guess maybe some people lived under a rock from 2009 <laughs> yeah. to 2017 i don't know i don't know i uh, never like I, I didn't really watch the show i just happened to be walking past the tv one day when you're you guys were watching it we were not watching it emily was watching it. oh okay we had yeah. a we had a guest in their house for a while and she, she was a big fan of this show yeah and uh, yeah so i happened to be walking past it and they there's an episode with this this song on it yeah i was like oh this is a great song and i was just yeah. standing there watching it because yeah I, I started watching it at first i think mm-hmm. i watched the first like three or four episodes yeah and then was like yikes <laughs> Can't do this. We can't do this one anymore, and stop watching it. But yeah, then yeah. the next year we had to watch it, um, because we had and yeah. This again, one's from season one. This one's from season one. Yeah, episode twenty. Or maybe. I think you were still watching it this time. I think you guys watched like a whole season of it, and then maybe you, maybe you had given up by that point. I don't think I, maybe Eve did. Mm. I don't know if I watched a whole season of it. Okay, it's possible. Didn't have a lot going on back then. <laughs> grade nine. Yeah, it was a great year. But um. <laughs> No one's, this is no one's grade nine is great, dude. I assume this was 2009-ish. What year was the, the song? This, I think it was 2009, because it was 2010, okay. the uh, the soundtrack came out. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, so it's a TV show. It's a TV show that was on something, some television It was on network. Fox. It was on Fox. It was on Fox. Yeah. And it was about a teacher at a school mm-hmm. who takes over the school glee club yeah. and decides to make it great and has an affair with the guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's up against the school's coach who has her own domain yes and she's jane lynch and she's the best thing about the show because <laughs> she's fantastic and very aggressive yeah and it's awesome yeah as sue sylvester i think it's one of those things where that character is really good for a while and then you know you're like come on like how mean can you be yeah and then after a while <laughs> the show has to go too far because it just needs to keep topping itself yeah well that that's totally what happened like there's all these things like i was reading some buzzfeed article a while ago um and it was like because i I saw the headline for it and was like okay but it was like which of these crazy things on glee actually happened and what didn't maybe it was just a facebook comment section i don't know it was something but 
yeah, it was just like so much crazy stuff mm. that happened on that show. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, like people get in car accidents and die and everyone's cheating on each other all the time. And like, yeah, just <laughs> why? Um, you know, it's just supposed to be a show about a glee club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... Yeah, there's unwanted yeah. pregnancy and uh, yeah. all kinds of uh, twists and turns. There was like a soap opera show, but like a modern day, you know, in the evening adult or maybe teen soap opera with a, like, a lot of heightened emotions. Yeah. And But in each episode, because it was a glee club, they would do these very elaborate songs in the show. Yes. Yeah. And so... There's a musical comedy, it, sort of. Yeah. Comedy drama. Yeah. Musical dramedy. And then... But in the... The original idea of the show, the music was was not supposed to be integrated into the show in a, in a, a natural way. It was supposed to be them performing the songs. Right. So it wasn't like they were suddenly bursting into singing in a like classroom. It wasn't like a musical, yeah. um, like well, like a musical show, like Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Yeah. Where it's or, like everyone just like bursts yeah, into song or movies like Singing or in the Rain or just whatever. Like movies, yeah. 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 So. Although they did kind of break that because they started having fantasy sequences as well. Right. Okay. So in the show, the character Rachel Berry, mm-hmm. played Who's, by Leah Michelle. Yeah. It has two gay dads, uh, yes. her parents, and she doesn't know her mother. Mm-hmm. And so this was an episode, episode 20, called Theatricality, where the mother, it's getting windy here, everyone, we had a window open because <laughs> it's kind of dusty in the shop with all the, the work going all on. All the construction. And all the construction, yeah. So, so if you can hear a flapping of tarp and sound of trees blowing, that's why. <laughs> it's very, later on the show, we're going to be playing, uh, um, Kate Bush's Weathering Heights. We wanted to create. The, oh yeah. Want to create yep. the the atmosphere for it. Right, that makes sense. So, so yeah. So she finally meets her mother in this episode, and they her have her mother is Adina Menzel. Her da- mother played by Adina Menzel, who you right. may know from um, being good in other musical related things, yeah, she's, like the movie Enchanted. She's uh, Prince El- Prince Princess Elsa in. Uh, yeah, she name? does the singing voice for. No, she plays the role as oh, well. Oh, does she do yeah. that? Oh, I, oh, I yeah. didn't realize that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Kirsten Bell plays her sister, and then she... Kristen the, Bell. Or Christ, Kristen Bell, sorry. Yeah. Kristen Bell... Plays Anna. Plays Anna, and then Elsa is played by... by Adina Adina Menzel. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Okay. And she also did the singing in another one. I can't remember what it's called. Moana? No. Frozen? I maybe, mean, maybe Tangled? T- I think Tangled, yeah. Okay. Or no, Enchanted. She did the singing in Ench- yeah, Enchanted, Enchanted for... Um, the villain. For the villain? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, she's a very good singer. So she really has those great uh, Broadway pipes. Cause she I think started she off, is a Broadway. Yeah, she yeah. started off in Rent, in the play Rent. That's where she her, her first role. And she's done a few other shows. And so she really, really brings those great Broadway pipes to her role. Uh, it's funny, like, wa- I watched the video today of them singing with to each other across a piano. And I couldn't watch it because I was, I just found it, their, their singing face is so gross. <laughs> they're just like so broad as they're singing to each right. other you know like they just have to really open their mouths or really scrunch up their face for for stuff and i uh, just kind of like mm, little little hammy but <laughs> but i really um i really love i really love their their version of it and i was gonna say because like i was and to give an excuse to to um adam anders because of the rushed element of the show i think he has to kind of draw from popular um adaptations of some songs there's oh, totally he famously or uh, i don't know if it was him i don't want to accuse him but glee famously copped jonathan colton's a- adaptation of of um that song uh the one about i like i like big i like big butts is that what it's called like i like it's not something the song's called but oh the song by what's that what's, what's his name i don't know these are things i don't have to know 
this song's called Listening Party, Mary, and I don't listen to that music. That's true. Um, I, I was, like sorry, just a quick note about yeah. the movie Enchanted. Yeah. Um, she played um, the love interest's fiance. Oh, okay. Who falls for the, the dumb prince. Mm. Who, because um, in the movie Enchanted. Yeah. In the movie Enchanted, um, there's a Disney princess and she gets sort of brought into the real world. And her prince follows her into the real world to get her back. Yeah. Um, but her prince is like a big dummy. <laughs> and then the princess falls for like a guy in New York. Sure. And then her, the prince, I guess, ends up with the guy that she falls for is ex-fiance. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. So, so basically what I understood was borrow the, the, an acoustic version of the song that Lady Gaga was already doing. So she had, she had her own, she, like she had the. This, what to me sounds like a mechanical toy version. And then uh, she also, but she also did like an acoustic version. She just played it on a piano and just sang. But the problem with her version to me is that her, her, her vocals are really eccentric. Right. Like she does this thing where she like strangely rushes parts of the songs. Okay. You know, so, it, but not in a natural way. It's right. just kind of like for no reason. She'll suddenly like sing a whole line really quickly and then okay. slow it down again. Hmm. It's kind of like, I don't know what you're doing, but okay. Hmm. okay. Whereas this version... It really kind of gives it that Broadway musical feel of right. like big singing, big voices, really belting it out, really right. giving it their all. Yeah, which I understand that you appreciate. Mm-hmm. I don't really like that type of singing okay. so much. Yeah. I just find if it gets too big and showy, I yeah. just can't enjoy it because yeah. it just starts to feel kind of fake mm. or something. Yeah. Um, no, it is fake. They're just singing. <laughs> no, I, I, I know it is, but like I, I have All the same fake. feeling about yeah. there was a song on um, one of the soul music okay. mixes that you had made, and I said that it sounded like a like a show tune. Okay. And that's what I didn't like about it. It seemed like too big. Was it that one, uh, the um, Lorraine? It, Lorraine uh... it was a male singer. Oh, it was a male singer. I think you oh. said it was Blue Eyed Soul. When we were talking about it in the show, oh. I didn't know that at the time. It was like the second or third to last song in one of the mixes. Okay, I don't don't remember. Sorry. That's okay. Sorry. That's all right. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm a big fan of this song, and uh, I just felt it was like a fun right. fun thing to throw into this mix. I also I do also want to say though yep. that when Eve and I went to the mall today, we were listening to this. Yeah. And when we got to this song, she said. Oh, I've heard this song like eight times. I can't do. It. I can't do it again. And so we skipped it <laughs> eight times. <laughs> she was like, "I don't understand why Dad likes this song." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Eve. I'm putting you on blast. There's no. Uh, there's no accounting for taste, Eve. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, and it's funny. Like I don't believe in guilty pleasures. I I don't feel guilty for liking this song. I don't think it's like corny that I like it. I'm quite. Like I was the other day, I was I had my windows open in the car and I was blasting it out. <laughs> People are driving beside me. Yeah, I'm like, like it or don't like it, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, I I agree in that not liking guilty pleasures thing. Yeah, because like if you like it, why feel bad about it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like that's how I feel about liking like animated stuff still, mm. like um, Phineas and Ferb and Gravity Falls. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, it's good. I like it because it's good. Yeah. If it wasn't good, I wouldn't like it. Yeah. And if I didn't like it, I wouldn't think it was good. Yeah. Since I like it. I think it's good. Like, why should I feel bad about that? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. All right. Well, let's go on to the next song, Save Mary, from having to discuss. <laughs> let's talk more about Poker Glee. Face. So the idea, con- uh, the original concept for it was, look at these bunch of weirdos. 
<laughs> and we're going to showcase all these weirdos. And then everyone that they hired were just handsome people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and you're like, the show started and you have like an awkward Jewish girl with two dads. And yeah. And you got a kid in a wheelchair and you have like an obviously gay kid and yeah. like a pretty like conservative. But you kind of assume it's like the Midwest or yeah, something, yeah. right? And football, there's a black a girl character. and like an Asian girl. Yeah. And then, yeah, like a football guy who likes music, even though he shouldn't, which is like, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, and then, like, all the uh, characters that they add in later, they're yeah. all, like, handsome people. Yeah, they're, yeah. like, all attract- like attractive, like, skinny white people. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, like, why like why are you going away from this original conceit of the show, which was, like, you know, let's showcase weirdos who don't usually get showcased on TV, right? Because the bucks aren't in weirdos. Yeah, I guess not. Poor weirdos. <laughs> They're trying to with Heather's too, the Heather's show. Okay. Which is like ignoring the the idea of what Heather's was. But Heather's, they're good looking. The Heather's are all good looking. Yeah, that's the thing. In the in the movie Heather's, yeah, they're all like, um, like the the concept behind that movie is like they're all like the same person, right? Yeah. They're like the most popular person, and then I guess the people who made the show were like skinny white girls aren't popular anymore. Popular people now are like queer kids and black people. <laughs> And it's like, that's not true. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's not true. <laughs> like, queer kids are still being bullied yeah. in a lot of places. Like, they are not, like, the most popular people. Like, if you're looking for the most popular people, yeah. like, they still look like they did in Heathers. <laughs> you know? Like, they did when I was in high school, when mm-hmm. I graduated in 2012. Yeah. Like, it's still like that now. Yeah. The world has not changed that much in the past eight years. Oh my god, it's been eight years since I graduated from high school. Okay, let's move on. Let's stop talking about Glee. <laughs> let's let's visit your past a little bit more, Mary. Eight years, you say. Ooh. Let's all let's all listen to this song. Okay. I think it's time, Mary, yes. since you're feeling this way. Okay. That we take the skinheads bowling. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it right now, everyone. Here we go. Let's take the skinheads bowling. Mm-hmm. Take them bowling. Take the skinheads bowling, take them bowling. Some 
Hey, we're back. So that was Camper Van Beethoven. Camper Van Beethoven, huh? Taking the kids bowling. Well, the skinheads bowling, anyway. Uh, from their first album, mm-hmm. Telephone Free Landslide, Landslide Victory, that came out in 1985. Hmm. Speaking of a long time ago, Mary, okay. when I heard this album, it yes. was 1985. Wow, that is a long time ago. I was one year out of school. Oof. That was a while ago. I don't want to think about that. That was a while ago. Uh, yeah. We've already talked about Camper Van Beethoven when Have we played we? the song We're a Bad Trip uh, in our first novelty mix. So I didn't really feel the need to go back over That's fine. old old ground. But uh, I do like them a lot. They're a lot of fun. This is this is a uh, this song is interesting. Yeah. Because why would you take skinheads bowling? <laughs> is the implication that they're using their heads as bowling balls? I don't think so. Because that was that was my thought. Because <laughs> otherwise, just taking skinheads bowling, that's not very punk. Well, I think that what Cameraman Beethoven were doing on this album, which has a lot of references to the different kind of cultures around punk rock at that time. So there's mentions of skaters, mentions of skinheads, mention of punk rockers, stuff like that. And I think they were just sort of having fun with with the with the the memes of the time. Right, right. So so it'd be like making a song today and talking about Dad Boy. Yeah. Or. a power outage everybody and uh we are now sitting in the dark yes uh recording a little differently uh we've we're mixing we're missing out the mixer mm. so we might sound a little bit different than we did earlier right right i, I don't know how this is going to sound at all actually so um hopefully do- the power comes back on before we're done we're but doing our knows. best the aforementioned uh wind yes uh, the aforementioned windstorm yes has taken out a tree somewhere in our area and has is uh subsequently taken out some of the electrical wiring so so we are without electricity but uh, we have a battery in our in our um digital recorder so we're going to use that for the next little while hopefully that'll it'll last us to the end of the show if it doesn't we'll we'll figure something out Ooh, it's sorry um it's a big area affected yeah i imagine so all the way Crew down has been assigned as of eight thirty. all the way down to mount lehman i imagine oh wow all of aldergrove yeah even on the other side of fraser highway yeah i think that's the freeway actually no, number one is a freeway there. Oh, okay, okay. So it's not quite to the freeway. It's like 56th Avenue all the way. It said 2,971 homes. Through, I wonder if the church is being, I need to go somewhere to edit the show. Oh. Edit, edit Sneaky Dragon. Right. Anyway. Okay. Hi, everybody. So let's continue on, Mary, with what you were talking about. Um. So, oh yeah, so dad was saying that it was like a, they were making songs about memes of the time. Yeah. yeah. So like... If I was to make a song and reference Dat Boy. Okay, who's Dat Boy? He's that frog on a unicycle. Okay. Kind of old. It's kind of an old meme. Okay. So, I don't know. Maybe 
Maybe you're being you're behind the times now. I am behind the times. It's as if you graduated eight years ago. I'm old now. I can't. I just don't know. I can't keep up on these memes. I don't have TikTok. Um, well, that's good. I don't have a Twitter. I'm not on my Tumblr anymore. Wow. Which is where I kept up on all my memes. Yeah. 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 Wow. You're growing up. I guess so. I went. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I miss. I miss being. Uh, miss being in on all the memes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, man, I wonder what I wonder what memes are around right now. You know, there's that SpongeBob one. Yeah, but where he's like, I don't Whoa. know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> he shows me some, but I, most of them I'm just just yeah. show them to me, and I'll be like, I'll have this kind of frozen smile on my face, like, huh? Yeah, you're kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> Desperately the, trying to figure it out I don't in my know head. The context for this, yeah, but yeah. okay. Yeah, I know half the TikTok she sends me. I have to text her and be like, I don't understand. Explain this to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sad. Sad for us. Anyway, it's a good song. Yeah, it is a good song. I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you agree with me. Uh, well, yeah, I guess so. But yeah, no, I, I like it. <laughs> Did you have, make any more specific notes about it? Nope. <laughs> okay. I was just checking. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to the next song then. Uh, we're kind of, now we're on a timeline, everyone, because we have a battery that's disappearing in our, in our digital recorder. Uh, this band is the act. The song is called The Remedies of Dr. Bronicoy. Uh... And it came out in 1968. Let's give it a listen. Whooping cough and swollen feet What Dr. Bronico likes to treat Pneumonia and chicken pox His remedies in his little black box Oh no, he's not qualified No one knows They're satisfied They called from Mrs. Brown Took the doctor into town She told him of a new disease She developed purple knees Oh no Was the act and Mary? What did you think of the act? 
Uh, I thought it was a, it was a really good song. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty fun example of sort of obscure psych rock from right. the 60s. Uh, the act were, they were from, like, they're from Essex. Okay. Which, okay. And as you know, the only way is Essex. Right. Yes. Everyone knows that. Toei. Uh, but they won, they won a contest that got them, uh, got them signed to, to Columbia Records. Um, the act were, I'll just give you the names of the guys in the band. They were Brian Patton, John Dennis, Michael Gangham, and David Simpson. So I was thinking when I was writing this out, I was like, oh, so they, they're the original Gangham style. Talk about old memes. Talk about old memes, right? Hey, hey, still my bit. <laughs> uh, but, and they were managed by, I was really, this is really funny when I was reading this, they're, they're managed by singer, song, producer, songwriter, Kenny Lynch, who, if you're a Beatles fan, you'll know Kenny Lynch because he rode on the bus with the Beatles on their first tour when they were the opening act for, for Helen Shapiro in, in Scotland. And the Beatles wrote the song Misery for Helen Shapiro. And not, they, that's not a very good song to have written about you. Misery? Yeah. Yeah. But they thought that would suit her style. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's kind of more of a kind of ironical song. It's more like a self-pitying song, you know? Right. The world is treating me bad. Misery. Yeah. Uh, so, but Kenny Lynch liked it. it would, Helen Shapiro's manage, management turned the song down, but Kenny Lynch liked it. And so he, he was the first person to do a Beatles cover. Oh, cool. He covered the song Misery. And he also, he also um, tried to give them some writing tips on the bus, some song, songwriting tips, but he didn't, didn't like the way they wrote songs and he couldn't agree with them on what they were, where they were going with their music. So he, they didn't really see eye, eye, eye in that, but he still liked Misery. And, he, he, uh, and so he had a few minor hits as a singer, but he made he did actually a lot better as a as a producer songwriter. Hmm. He um, wrote songs for Dusty Springfield and and the the Swingin' Blue Jeans and other kind of British groups like that. Cool. Uh, Dusty's sorry. No, never mind. Nope. We're we gonna say. I was nope. Uh, the thing I was gonna say I realized was incorrect as I was saying it. Okay. So never mind. You're gonna tell tell me it was Dusty Springsteen. No, I was gonna say wasn't Dusty Springfield a Canadian American band, but I was thinking of Buffalo Springfield. Ah, uh, there you go. That's right. That's right, which is a name for a tractor, not a name of a British singer. Dusty Although, Springfield? Dusty Springfield was yeah. not her real name either, though. I'm sorry, I don't know her real name off the top of my head. But. Hmm. Well, I know a Dusty, mm-hmm. whose real name is Dustin. Okay. Yeah, okay. but she goes by she, Dusty. She was not Dustin. She was a real a real normal name, like Mary something. Her, right. I think her first name was Mary. That's like Mary not Kelly. surprising. Mary Kelly and whatever. And she was in a group called the Springfields. Oh, okay. And so she changed her name to Dusty Springfield. Hmm to uh, kind of fit and then she left that group and she still kept the same name cool it's like um like elton john she was uh actually dusty springsteen that's what i meant to say right hmm? dusty springsteen okay did you hear my like elton john thing oh like elton john because she oh she took her name from elton no because elton john took his name from one of his band members okay yeah two, yeah. Of, two of his band members or two of his band members yeah elton dean sax player and long john baldry singer who lived for a long time here in vancouver oh did he yeah oh cool like when i grew up you always read about El- uh, long john baldry performing at the cave or someplace like that right These kind of classy separate clubs that were in vancouver sure. at that time and they were like he used to associate with a gay that's what they would say in the, in the well, newspaper. we didn't know he was gay oh you didn't know elton john was gay we didn't know that long john baldry was gay long john baldry was gay yeah he was oh yeah hmm. yeah he was the one who who uh, told elton, elton john to not get married oh okay yeah he's the one of the there's a song he wrote, some, uh, Someone Saved My Life or something like that. Okay. And that was what it was. was hmm. He was going to marry some woman. And he's like, you don't want to get married. Yeah. Why not? Well, you're clearly gay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So anyway, enough about Long John Baldry. 
It's fascinating to find that fellow. Um, so, so it's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Kenny Lynch had the opportunity to write with Mort Schumann, who was a song, a Brill building songwriter who had written with Doc Pomus, like songs like Save the Last, Last Dance for Me and, and stuff like that. Okay. And so they wrote some songs together. They wrote a song for the Small Faces called Sha La La Lee, which was their first top 10 hit. And he had a couple others, placed a couple other songs on their first album. And, and then he wrote this song called um, Just a Little Bit. Mm-hmm. And that song was the A-side to the single. So this, the A-side was just a little bit. Okay. And the B-side was the remedies of Dr. Bronicoy. Oh, okay. So Kenny Lynch got the songwriting credits for the A-side, and then the band got the songwriting credits on the, on the B-side, which right. is, I guess, sort of fair. And uh, it's a pretty good song, just a little bit. It's actually really good, too. And I really like the version by, I really like the version by the act. Okay. But honestly, I think that if it came out four years later and was kind of couched more in the bubblegum soul style of the early 70s, mm-hmm. it could have been like a bigger hit. Right. I think that would have been... I'm, I'm going to play it now. I'm going to play the version by the act. And then you tell me if you think this song should have been a bigger hit. Not a bigger hit than... A, I think it should have been a bigger hit than it was for them. They, right. they put out three singles. All of them were flops. Okay. And then they broke up in 68. Hmm. But... And this was her final single. But I think it should have been a hit. And, and, but I think if it had come out a couple years later, it would have been a hit too. Right. So you give it a listen and then you tell me if you think I'm right.
All right, so we're back. That was uh, the act with their A-side from this single, just a little bit. And Mary, what do you think? You agree with me, right? If if it come out like a few years later, like more of a bubblegum style, less of a kind of a freak beat psych style, yeah. I think it would have been like a... I think it, I think it could have been a hit. Yeah, probably. Someone should have covered it. Yeah, no, it, it's a it's a it's a good sounding song. Yeah, yeah. It's poppy. Poppy, but it wasn't a hit. It was not a hit for them, and they they broke up as bands do when they don't succeed. Eventually, you have to throw in the towel, and usually three singles is actually a pretty good deal, uh, and that's the way it goes. Okay, let's move to song number six. You said no, seven. I can't remember it. Six actually, right? You said it was five. Yeah, we're on six now. Uh, this is um, this is a band. This is a fake band called Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's. A fake band. Yeah. The fake like the monkeys. Fake like the monkeys, and uh, the song is called Yankee Wheels. And once again, it was a single that came out in 1978. So let's give it a listen. So 
right, we're back. That was uh, Yankee Wheels by Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's. And Mare, hmm? what did you think of uh, that song? Okay, so it's weird. This is a weird song. Okay. Um, uh, at first, I was like, "This is weird. I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like her whisper singing." Okay. Whispering makes me uncomfortable. I see. You know, have you heard of people talk about ASMR? Sure. I have the opposite of that. You have the opposite of that. Yes. You like it LSMR? No. When I hear ASMR, it makes me extremely uncomfortable and okay. I can't listen to it. Oh, okay. Um, and I was getting big time ASMR, my my <laughs> personal ASMR vibes from this, which was, can't listen to this. Um, but yeah. that chorus though. Yes. Very good. It is. Very, it? very good. Yeah. I had it stuck in my head all day. <laughs> it's a very good chorus. So I'm conflicted Ooh, interesting. because... On the one hand, yeah. so much of the song is bad to my ears, <laughs> but on the other hand, yeah. the big parts of the song are good to my ears. Mm. So mm. it's a tricky one. It's a C. It's a straight C. Yeah. It's like right down the <laughs> middle. I don't know. I don't know what. I have no single opinion on this song. Sure. It's interesting. Well, that's interesting. And you know, the history of this song is really fascinating as well, because it is such a weird confluence of things that created this group. So the way it way it works was this Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's were not really a band that's the that's kind of the highlight of this that's my like pull quote not uh, really a band says David really, Dedrick that's right so the origin of Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's are you saying Belvedere's or? yeah B-E-L-V-E-D-E-R-E-S mm-hmm. Belvedere's okay and it's weird because when I first heard it I thought oh Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's I thought it was some reference to Jane Eyre Mm-hmm. The fictional character from the Charlotte Bronte novel. Jane Eyre. Which is E-Y-R-E. Yes. In this, it's spelled A-I-R-E. Okay. But there's no Belvedere in Jane Eyre. Right. So I don't know what, or that I know of. I actually have never read Jane Eyre. You so. never read Jane Eyre? No, I'm not, that, a, not a big Bronte sisters that's... fan. They're a little too heightened for my taste. You know, I'm a Jane mm. Austen person. And I feel like they're like right, the you polar... You like they're reserved. Yeah, they're the polar opposite. Right. You're not yeah. a fan of... Mm-hmm. What's oh Wuthering Heights? That's uh. That's not. That's a Brontes, but I think that's a different Bronte than Charlotte wrote. I believe Charlotte wrote. You Jane said Eyre. you weren't a fan of the Bronte sisters. Yeah, so Charlotte wrote Jane Eyre, I believe, and then the other sister, Emily Bronte, Emily? wrote um, Wuthering, Wuthering Heights. Heights. Yeah. Well, I feel like Wuthering Heights is like the ultimate super dramatic. Yeah, I don't like it at all. Partly, I don't like it because it's it uh, celebrates the brute. Hmm. Yeah. So one of those sort of things where the, the brutal guy is, is, you know, the we're supposed to be swooning into you know, falling all over ourselves for this big jock goofball. Right. Jerk face loser. I don't dig it. Um I enjoy Kate Beaton's um Hark a Vagrant comics yes. about the Wuthering Heights. Okay. Which very much emphasize how terrible they are. <laughs> and it's just the characters saying like He's terrible, but I he is a part of me. Yeah. And yeah. it's like that kind of stuff. Or yeah. it'll have like the two characters just like squeezing each other's faces. And there are people are saying like, or someone says like, oh, like, um, Kathy, what do you feel about Heathcliff? And she'll say, I hate him. And then you'll say like, oh, why are you holding his hand? And she'll say, because he's a part of me or something <laughs> like that. Like that's just. <laughs> yeah. It's just that it's terrible. Good. It's just that terrible. So anyway, so it's not. But oh, here's the th- weird thing, Mary. Hmm. Yes. In the late 70s, for very briefly... People were obsessed with Belvedere's. No. Akron, oh. Ohio was all the rage. Okay. Weirder. Even weirder than my thing. It was such a, it was such a scene. 
that Robert Criscow, the quote-unquote dean of American rock critics, mm-hmm. vi- visited Akron and wrote a 5,600-word article about it. Wow. And now, the reason it became sort of popular at this point was because of the group Devo. Oh, okay. Who came out of Kent State University, which is right. based in Akron, Ohio. Right. And so they were all the rage for a while, and everyone heard their iconoclastic take on the Rolling Stones song, I can't bracket, I can't get no end bracket satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And so, no, they had, they had pretty much signed with Warner Brother Records. Devo. Devo had. Mm. But that didn't stop some British record people. To maybe think they had a chance if they went in there and kind of like did a last minute intercept. Yeah, a little last. So David Robinson from Stiff Records and Chris Blackwell from Island Records flew from England to Akron, Ohio and came there in the middle of a huge snowstorm. So they land in this this inhospitable town. Man, can you fly directly from London to Akron? I don't think so. I think they... (laughs) I think you had to. How many? Yeah, how many times do you have to connect? Yeah, there's probably 14 connections <laughs> yeah. to get to Akron. So they get there finally. And they, had to, they, had, they ended up having to take like a four-hour Greyhound. No, they ended up in a, in a one-prop biplane. It's also good. <laughs> Fly them in in the snowstorm. Yeah, it's like when you're going um, when you're going like up north yeah. in Canada, and you take like a twelve hour bus ride, and then a prop plane, and then like a, a water taxi. That's right. And you're like, why? <laughs> then there's like an old like outfitted school bus. Yeah. That you have yeah. to ride on like up a mountain for three hours. Sure. You're like, this is not sitting on the roof good. rack. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend. I have a friend who works up north fixing. Um, she works on uh, wind turbines. Okay. Up there, and that's basically her commute. Wow. It's terrible. She, I think, is up for two weeks and down for two weeks or something. Hmm. But yeah, not. Not great. Not my ideal. But <laughs> pays good though. Yeah, I imagine. Pays so. real good though. I imagine really good. Yeah. 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 You had a friend who did uh, surveying for mines. Oh yeah. And she would just just walk, like just kind of get a compass. I use probably uses the GPS nowadays, but in those right. days, just had a compass. And she just walked in the direction the compass pointed <laughs> and just made, laid markers down. Oh, okay. No, I, my friend's job is quite difficult. Yeah. The way yeah. she, yeah, she... Oh, no, this is difficult. You have to walk, like, climb. Right. Walk, climb. Yeah. Go through trees. Go right. through... It's like, whatever was in your way, you had to walk oh, through okay, it. Okay, okay. You know? Yeah, no, this friend, she used to be a high-rise window washer on um, skyscrapers oh, in yeah. Vancouver. That's crazy. And her, yeah, her goal was um, to eventually work on, um, yeah, like, wind turbines and stuff. She likes heights. She likes heights. She is a risk taker. <laughs> yeah. And she's the sweetest person you'll ever meet. <laughs> she's great. Uh, so, yeah. So, they, they, they arrive in Akron. Mm-hmm. And they don't know anyone, of course. Okay. But they have, through some connections, have, like, you know, set up meetings with Devo. And they've, and they've arranged with a local musician, this guy named Liam Sternberg, to drive them around. Right. And so, you know, he shows up. He's got this old Fiat. <laughs> and and uh, there's a story about him, about Liam Sternberg, where I guess he was with driving with a different musician, an, o- an older guy. who uh, And the Fiat, went, the Fiat quit the stall where they're driving. Okay. And the guy, and the one, and so Liam's in the car trying to start it. And this other guy is outside trying to, like, get the carburetor to work with a screwdriver. Okay. And it's not working. And, Str- and Sternberg says... Oh, cars are such a bore. <laughs> he said, which sums up Liam Sternberg perfectly. And I said, yes, they are a bore. 
but let's get it started so we don't freeze to death. <laughs> but anyway, so he's driving them around, and they, they have a meeting with Bob Casale, uh, who's one of the members of Devo, who, you know, is pretty much just doing this out of politeness. As far as Devo was concerned, they wanted to get the most money they could. Well, yeah. And they figured they were going to get the best from Warner Brothers, you know, and that they're going to get a good deal from them. And uh, they weren't really too interested in what Island and Stiff Records had to offer. And so once the meeting was over, Chris Blackwell left right away. Hmm. Didn't even take Dave Robinson with him, just took off. Right. Because Dave Robinson, I didn't know how he left. <laughs> he was just gone. So I was still stuck there for like three days because of this horrible storm. Right. And the whole time I'm there, every musician in Akron came to the motel <laughs> to talk to me and leave a cassette. Yeah. And so I had all this music and all this interest. And when I got back to England, I thought, well, let's not waste the trip. Right. I'll just send them a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, he can, if Liam can do it, put together like a kind of a compilation of the best of Akron. Right. So he sent him $500 and a mm-hmm. bunch of contracts and said, put it together. Right. And so Sternberg started trying to put it together, but he realized there's not enough bands here to fill a whole album. Oh, okay. So he and another friend, this guy named Chris Butler, mm-hmm. who was also another band. So they both had a band each that they were in. Right. And then and then they they were like sitting in a diner eating and they're like, you know what we should do? We should just like make up bands. Just write them write music for them and we'll just we'll just have like pretend bands on the album. And so Chris Butler there and then said, Well I'm gonna have a band called The Waitresses. <laughs> He's like, Okay. And then Liam Sternberg said well, I'm going to have a band called Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's. They're like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. And so did did he just pick like oldie sounding words? I don't know what he's, he's thinking. like. Yeah, yeah. There's probably a Belvedere mentioned in Jane Eyre. Maybe. I mean, there was a car called the Belvedere in the 50s, so that might have been 50s, early 60s. So that oh, okay. might have been where his mind was. So they weren't talking about the summer cottage, the Belvedere. No, I don't think so. I don't know no. what that is. That's the definition of a Belvedere. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Maybe that's what the car was supposed to evoke, the idea of a summer cottage Maybe. getaway. Maybe that's <laughs> all they could think of while trapped in Akron, Ohio. <laughs> Akron. Akron, sorry. It could be Akron, once uh, again. Well, let's not, let's not ask Google. I'm a- tired of that guy. Yeah, no, that's fine. Acorn, Ohio. <laughs> it is pronounced Zubob. What? <laughs> Google. Don't punk us. So then, um, so yeah, so the waitresses actually were became really popular. Okay. Like, Chris Butler just like, put together this fake group he played guitar he wrote the songs he produced them yeah and they had this big hit with a song called christmas rapping uh in 1983 which was <laughs> uh which you've heard it because it's one that goes merry christmas merry christmas doodly. you know that one if i played it for you, you'd go oh, that one yeah probably yeah it's a it's kind of like a 80 sounding song hmm. from it's on uh, z records okay which had like kid, kid creole and stuff on it so it has a bit of that kind of like uh fake tropical sound to it but uh. it's but it's, it's a really good song. It's, okay. I was going to say it sounds terrible. No, no, it's good. 80s, Christmas, <laughs> fake tropical. I don't know, Dad. You're it's just better, not. It's better than it sounds. It's better <laughs> okay. than it sounds. Uh, so, so yeah. So, so that's where Jane Eyre and the Belvedere came. So there's two different Jane Eyre songs on, on the album. And, and now he had to hire a Jane Eyre. So he, he met this girl named Jane Ashley, uh, who he discovered singing in a bar. And, and so... He put her on the album, and then there was a kind of local teen singing prodigy named Rachel Sweet, okay. who'd been singing since she was a young child. Right. 
And so he signed her up for it. He wrote a song for her called Truck Stop Girl. Okay. I imagine she was well known at the high school. Sure, I guess so. For being like a Yeah, she was, in, she was in the Glee Club and she had two gay dads. Right, yes. And, and then she sang Poker Face with her biological mom. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and so in order to like kind of break up the sameness on the album, he produced Rachel Sweet and played on her songs as Pietro Nardini, who I guess was a Baroque era viol- violin player. Uh, now, naturally, the album flopped. Mm. All it had going for it was the fact that um, Stiff had, in order to like make it interesting, make Akron interesting to British people who knew nothing about Akron, mm-hmm. was to, there's a tire on the cover. And the tire was a sca- scratch and sniff tire. So if you scratched it, it smelled like burnt rubber. <laughs> okay. That was the selling point of this album. Right. Is and that what Akron, Ohio smelled like? It smells acrid. That's right. That's why mm. it's pronounced Akron. Right. And so... I said Akron that time. Yeah, I know. That's why oh. I said... I was just... Okay. Doubling down. Right. Tripling down, actually. Okay. I guess so. So when the album flopped, most of the bands that were involved with the compilation kind of faded away. Hmm. Except for Rachel Sweet who signed a, a deal with, with Stiff Records. Okay. And so she went to England. And Liam Sternberg was not going to let this opportunity go. Right. So He, he went, found her. Yeah. And so he went with her to produce her first album. Mm. And so he produced her first album, which was called Fool Around, uh, to which he contributed several songs and, of course, played on it. Right. But when he played on it, he played on it as Peter Nardini. Okay. Now, what's interesting about Rachel Sweet is that she had a fairly this sort of successful musical career up into sort of the early 80s. Okay. But now she is a TV writer and producer. Oh, okay. So her first show she worked on was Dharma and Greg. Okay, yes. Uh, but now she's done Hot in Cleveland, mm-hmm. Two Broke Girls, spe- speaking of mean shows. Mm, yeah, and now what she, a terrible show. And now she does The Goldbergs. Oh, okay. So that's kind of interesting. A, cha- yep. a bit of a change there. but And apparently she bought Madonna's Mansion in California, which she recently sold for $5 million. Only $5 million, that's huh? All? That's all. Wow. Uh, Maybe I'm biased by Vancouver house prices, but <laughs> you know, you get you could sell a four bedroom, three bath, 1971 split level for that year. Yeah, pretty much. You're right. <laughs> You're right. So he also, when he went to London, he also brought Jane Ashley with him. Okay. Yep. And so he he kind of revived Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's when he was there. He, right. He hired a pickup band, a group called The Edge, mm-hmm. who were uh, kind of a local London group who just kind of starting out, who consisted of uh, well, there's Lou Edmonds and John Moss, who had both just left The Damned. They'd kind of been on, in the fill-in Damned when The Damned kind of broke up for a while uh, and weren't really doing very much. They kind of came in and played with some of the members for a while. And then when the band reformed, they, they left and they formed The Edge. And John Moss went on to join Culture Club. He played drums in Culture Club and was Boy George's boyfriend. And Lou Edmonds, Lou was short for lunatic, by the way. Lou Edmonds uh, then joined Shriekback. So, yeah, they, they, they were pretty successful, too. So, um, but, yeah, they were the Belvedere's with some other people, including uh, Christy McCall, the, the wonderful British singer, was one of the backup singers on the album mm, and on the cool. single as well. And so, yeah, Sternberg wrote and produced Yankee Wheels for Stiff. And then, um, then he, he, says, he, was, he says um, when he signed with Stiff, he was looking at the contract and he had some he had some like minor issues with what he was reading and Dave Robin said just said to him, Oh just sign it, we're gonna rip you off anyway. <laughs> and he said, and he was right. But you know, you kinda had to take it in order to get your foot in the door and that's what he did. Right. And I guess Liam Sternberg would be best Oh, I'm just gonna say that Jane Jane Aaron the Belvedere's recorded an album for Virgin Records. Then she married a guy from the Boomtown Rats named Pat Briquette. 
And she did one more single for, for Stiff, and then she dropped out of the music business entirely. Hmm. But Liam Sternberg went on to be a writer, and he wrote, most famously wrote uh, Walk Like an Egyptian for the Bangles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Everyone knows that song. Yeah, it's very popular. Yeah. So there you go. And I got to tell you, I think, personally, I think there's a great transition between the last song, Yankee Wheels, and the next song we're going to play, which is called Till the Tide Creeps In by The Thrills. And so, Mary, when I play this song on the show... I'm going to come in with a little bit of the end of Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's, and then we're going to go into the thrills so we can get that transition, right? Right. Because it was a great transition. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah. Just the way it kind of goes from the, the, the end, the kind of motor sounds of uh, of the end of Yankee Wheels into the drums of Till the Tide Creeps In. I just really liked how that flowed oh, okay. together. Yeah. It was planned, everyone. Mm-hmm. So saying that, let's give a listen to the thrills. This is uh, Till the Tide Creeps In from their album, So Much for the City, in from 2003. Oh, okay. Shame. 
dance till the tide creeps in We'll dance, we'll dance till the tide creeps the thrills i thought it was a good song oh good yeah good. it's pretty yeah. fun yeah i really like it a lot mm-hmm. like the singing style and here's the thing i didn't realize i thought they were a southern band okay they're irish oh really yeah i did not get that no me neither oh wow and i was listening to him going i would swear this band is from is, i was thinking like where are they from like the somewhere south? in the south they're a southern band for sure and i kept thinking that the whole time and then <laughs> and then i uh was looking up about them and i was like what <laughs> Uh, so, like I say, they're an Irish band. They formed in, in Dublin in the mid-90s as a, a band. The, the band was called The Cheating Housewives. Hmm. And they had that name for quite a while. They And they kind of traveled in a weird way. They went to San, San Diego and lived there for a while. Okay. Wrote a bunch of songs there that were on their first, that were later used in their first album. Right. They, uh, which this was their first album, so much, uh, so much for the city. And then um, they came back to Dublin. They signed with a label called Su- Supremo. And then they got dropped. Okay. Like almost right away. Right. Then they went to San Francisco for a while. And it was in San Francisco they they changed the name to The Thrills. And then they came back to England. And then they did some demos. Demos of the songs they'd been working on. And someone heard them and really liked them. And they passed them on to Jeff Travis at Rough Trade Records. And Rough Trade really liked them. And Rough Trade were interested in signing them. Right. And next thing you know, there was like a bidding war of labels interested in signing them. Oh, wow. And so they signed to Virgin. And they did this album, and this album was really popular. It was number one in Ireland, number three in the UK. Unheard of in North America. Hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and unfortunately for them, they never recaptured that, that uh, success. Hmm. And, um, bro- uh, well, basically are in a, an extended... Hiatus? Extended hiatus. It's right. been going on since, like, 2010. So mm, Yeah. But to them what- in One Direction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So it's too bad, but it's a really good song, I think. We'll hear from them again in this in this series of mixtapes. I promise you. Oh, I'm sure we will. So um, let's move on to the next yeah, song. Yeah, not right? a lot about that. those guys. Yeah. But that's a good song. It it's is a really good song. Yeah, yeah. 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 All well, right, let's hear the next one. Yeah, there's no big story like, like so, Jane Eyre and the Belvedere's. Like, that's, yeah. that's a great story, I think. Yeah, but, some, so. some bands just don't... There's just not a lot there, right? Uh, yeah. But I mean, the fact that there is a bidding war for their first album. That's interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's good, especially after they got dropped from their label. Yeah. The first label, those jerks. Uh, so this is a song we've already had on the show. 
with, with a mix from with with a mix from one of Mary's mixes. From wh- from me. One of Mary's Mary Steele Dad's <laughs> music mixes. Not true. Uh, my stupid nails that are falling off are getting Gross. caught on things. Gross. I know it's not nice. Ooh, it makes me. Do you want to look at it, Mary? No. See them? It just it gives me like you know. <laughs> You know, it's like nails when you see when you hear someone like scraping their nails down a chalkboard. Yeah. You can like feel it in your teeth. Mm. Mm. I got that. Oh my god, I can't even think about it. <laughs> when I was at high school, I like accidentally scraped my nails on the inside of my locker, and it's like a kind of like rough oh, yeah. metal. Yeah. And thinking about that still gives me like chills up my spine, and like my <laughs> teeth get cold. Oh, I can't. Oh. I can't. It's like such a visceral feeling. Yeah, it's with your nails because Ian was describing when he was a kid trying to jump onto a fence and clawed it like he was a cat. <laughs> yeah, that's that is the same feeling yeah. totally. <laughs> yeah, and you're just like when you hear that you're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, but this song doesn't make you feel that way, does it, Mary? This song makes you feel happy. What's this song, Dad? This song is Carolyn Payton. Oh. From her album Mock Up. Mhm. That came out in uh well I wrote 2009 and that is patently not true cuz it came out in 1973. Oh. So I don't know what the heck I was thinking about. <laughs> Anyway, this is Engram, everyone. We've heard it before, but it's such a great song. I'm sure you won't mind hearing it one more time. Here we go. White walls with your pictures hanging me. There's a noose. And if I turned it loose on you, we'd go back in time. talking for you baby it's just a bouquet in the city a place to stop over so you It's the season for it now and I 
Hi everyone, we're back. Mary and I were having a laugh when I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> so um, classic dad, classic me, I suppose. You and you and all of your pratfalls. <laughs> so that was uh, Carolyn. Have Payton. we ever? Have, have, sorry, I, I'm I'm gonna talk about something else. This is gonna be sure, quick. Sure. When have we were talked about when you were a kid, when we were kids, and you would go, you'd say, "Well, I'm just gonna go walk down the stairs," and then you would go like, "Boom, boom, boom," and you would like smack the walls and the floor, and, like yeah, stomp, yeah. and then even I would like run over, and you'd be like lying all tangled up on the landing, like you'd fall down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> So good. <laughs> Did that all the time. <laughs> it never got tired, eh? Uh, when you were 16, though, you went, Dad, stop it. <laughs> man, man who loves physical comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did a couple where I actually did fall down the stairs as well. Yeah, it's fun. When it's carpeted, it's fun. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do it otherwise. Yeah, so, Mary? Yes. You going to rate this song? Yeah, it's a great song. I love it. So is it a song that you would consider worthy of putting on a mixtape, for instance? Yes, probably. It's it's interesting. I was reading the liner notes to this album. I have the CD. And uh, and I don't want to repeat too much of what you talked about last time. That uh, she, um, But it's interesting. It's weird. Like, it's a weird 70s kind of thing. It's like something that you would never hear about except someone who was like the 60s. Right. You know, like, here's a girl. She, um, you know, she had mom and dad. She grew up in Virginia, you know. Their parents who supported her, they they supported her musical interests. That she uh, she applied and won, uh, you know, went went a place at a, at a prestigious school in Boston. Mm-hmm. But she changed her mind and decided to go to uh, one in Chicago called Northeastern, or in in Illinois called Northeastern University. I believe that's where it was anyway. And then uh, and then when she was there, she was like in her first first term there, first year there. And then she met this person who was telling her about this great scene in Indiana. Oh, sh- sure. B- Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah, why and not? And she's like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm going to go there. So then she just like leaves her schooling, Yeah. goes to Indiana, and then starts hanging out. Now, here's the thing you didn't mention last time, Mary. Okay. Was that Kathy Canada, who, yes, wasn't, wasn't, was, received some amount of money as being like a relative involved in the Eli Lilly company. Right, yes. She wasn't like a daughter, but she was somewhere in the family, so yeah. she got some, some amount of money. She owned a huge tract of land. In Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, okay. Like in farmland on the outskirts of Indiana. Right. Or Bloomington. And she had a commune there. Oh, okay. But it wasn't like a good commune. It was like a bad commune. Oh, okay. It was like a bunch of people like living all over this place. Right. Just kind of taking a crap wherever they stood. Right. Not not taking care of the place. Not having yeah. like, not organized. There was no farming. There's nothing right. to keep it like as a working commune. Yeah. It was, like, it was a bunch of like lazy artists mm-hmm. just kind of living in the dirt. It was like... um. We were, I remember in um, my, one of my history courses, we were learning about like railroad and um, like gold mining camps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how it was all these men living together who'd never had to like cook or, or clean af- up after themselves. Okay. And there was like always constant fights about who would have to do that. <laughs> like constant. Well, that still happens when, when men live together in an apartment. Yeah, true. It's the same thing. And then there's a story of her and a friend. They decided they're going to hitchhike across. They're going to get a ride across 
from Indiana to California. Okay. So they get into a back of a U-Haul van. Okay. And they stayed in the back of this U-Haul van for five days across the United States. Like through the desert. They're just baking oh to death God. in the back of this back of this U-Haul. Yikes. And then they finally get to California. They get to San Francisco. And there's mm-hmm. the, nothing for them there. Mm. There's like absolutely nothing. She's oh just like God. trapped there. So then she had to like contact her father who sent her money so that she could return back to co- college. She so went back to college for a while. Yeah. But then she ended up back in, in Indiana again. Uh, pursuing her musical interests but she's a wonderful singer she's a wonderful singer yeah, yeah i feel like she's, she's a... only 19 years old at the time yeah like it definitely seems like stuff. she was a person who was like taken advantage of yeah and yeah. like maybe wasn't making the best decisions no but also no. was like a very young person who i think was um Bit a little starstruck and yeah, maybe, yeah 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 and that that was a problem for sure it's interesting now i'm gonna Posted on the posted on the page, but there's there's video on YouTube of her singing live in a, in a ca- in a cafe in Indiana, I assume at the university. She does a couple of songs just by herself with acoustic guitar, and uh, it's quite good. But what's interesting in the comments is there's comments from her daughters. Oh, like cool. that's my mom. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's so cute. Yeah, it is. It's, it's fun. All right, so let's go on to um, let's go on to the next song then. Okay. We, we know that we like Carolyn Payton. We yes. talked about her before, and we both agree that she's great. So let's go on to the next song, everybody. And as as it's becoming late at night, we're losing power. Well, we have lost power. We're losing sunlight. I say we're losing sunlight. I should say, yeah, sorry. We're losing light here. So I'm just going to turn on my flashlight on my phone. Okay, um, Mary. Yes? The next song is The Everly Brothers. No one's ever heard of them before. <laughs> yes, I know they're very popular, everyone. But this is from a, one of their later albums. This is from 1967, from their album The Everly Brothers Sing... And the song is called Talking to the Flowers. Let's give it a listen, everybody.
What did you think of uh, Talking to the Flowers, Mary? I like this song quite a bit. It's a good song. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's not just the song. It's like the arrangement is great, too. That that wonderful do-do-do. I can't sing it, of course, because I'm terrible. But you know what I mean? The That little falling bit of right. music. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. So wonderful. And then the background vocals are great as well, which weren't all... Everly Brothers. There were some like some LA session singers were, okay. were, were also some other brothers were brought in. Yes, the Adrisi brothers sang on this. They were uh, a songwriting team performing. They really? performed. Yeah, yeah. There were actually other brothers who yeah, worked on this. That's oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, yeah, they came in and helped did some background singing on it uh, because this song is really like straight out of like that this you know like mid to late sixties sunshine pop sound of, mm-hmm. of that time right it really kind of draws on that sound now mary what do you know about the everly brothers they're brothers yeah they're a band from the 60s not quite they're a band from the 70s you're getting too too far into the future they're a band from the 50s oh, well that's good that you knew that they were a band that was active in the 60s though yes that's right okay well i'm gonna amend my statement to say that then they're a band <laughs> that was active in the 60s okay they're american yeah the they're men <laughs> Okay, well, they started singing at a very young age. They're kind of like... Like a lot of family bands. Like Rachel Sweet. They started singing when they were kids. Their dad had a radio show. Oh, okay, cool. And they would would sing with their mom and dad with the Everly family, they were called Hmm. at that point. And they performed with the group on and off for a long time. And then when both of the brothers, they weren't twins, but when they both finally graduated from high school... I can't remember who was younger, Don or Phil or Don, I can't remember. They were Don and Phil Everly, just so you know. Um, When they had both graduated from graduated from high school, they could start their professional career. And they had a, a family friend, Chet Atkins, who was a very famous guitar player and a very, very powerful person in Nashville. Hmm. Very, But very powerful with RCA Victor. And what's weird is that he got them uh, signed to to Columbia Records, which is weird. But That is weird. And they did one single for Columbia, which flopped, and Columbia dropped them. Hmm. And so then they were looking for an, another label, and then they met this guy named Leslie Rose, who owned Rose Acuff Publishing. And he said, well, if you sign a publishing contract with me, I will get you a record label. And so they did. And so he did. He got them signed to Cadence Records. And what was really good for them being signed to Acuff Rose is it gave them access to some really great songwriting, including the writing of Felice and Boudreau Bryant, who wrote some of their greatest songs, Bye Bye Love and, and Bird Dog and all these great songs that they sang and had huge hits with were written by them uh and they had a they had incredible success in the 50s unfortunately in the early 60s it kind of slowed down partly well mostly through kind of their own fault i don't know why they did it but they did they joined the united states marine reserve Hmm. strange yeah and so that kind of took them out of the limelight for a long time like they didn't really they couldn't really perform anymore right they did an ed sullivan appearance like in full uniform which is weird and sang sang a song on there but yeah, they, their career kind of faltered a little bit from that. Were they trying to go for like a patriotic? Maybe yeah. Join the military. Kind it could of have thing? been. It could have been. Like um, Elvis. Elvis. Yeah. yeah. Could have been. I don't know. Yeah, maybe at the time it was just like people were like, "Well, if you don't, people think you're a communist." Right. Yeah. You don't want to be one of those peace-loving hippies. Yeah. Not that there were hippies then, but yeah, you don't yeah. want to. You want to be a beatnik. You want to be a draft dodger. Yeah. There was no draft then either, though. No, I know, but you know the. I think the <laughs> idea of a draft dodger was present at the time you know the draft had existed in america Priestley. sure sure so then in um also in 1961 they got in a fight with leslie rose hmm. their the their agent at uh, the publishing company right because uh 
Well, what happened was he was he was pretty much a tyrant, but he came into the recording one time. They'd left Cadence by this point and were signed to Warner Brothers. They signed a 10-year deal with Warner Brothers in, in 1960. And he came into one of the recording sessions, and they were recording a song that was not published by Acuff Rose. And he got really angry because he wasn't going to get any publishing right. money from this. And what the heck did they think they were doing? Yeah. And they got in a fight, and they insisted they were going to do the song, and he said they shouldn't, or they wouldn't, but they did anyway. Right. And when they did, he cut them off from using any songwriters who worked for Acuff Rose Publishing. Oh, wow. Including themselves. Wait. Because they were signed to oh. Acuff Rose Publishing. So, so... Uh, That's crazy. It is crazy. So wait, did, who wrote the song that they were recording? Not them? Not someone them, else. no. It was someone else, uh. yeah, yeah. And so, so not only did they lose, you know, the access to their own songwriting, they lost access to Felice and Boodle O'Brien, who had written a majority of their hits. Right, right. Now, that dispute lasted until 1964, during which time the brothers wrote under pseudonyms, a ploy which was quickly discovered, right. or used songs by other composers, anything to avoid giving Leslie Rose any money at all. Yeah. So finally, in 64, they came to some sort of an agreement, but I think it was a very, there's still a lot of hurt feelings on both sides. I imagine. The other problem for the group was they both became addicted to amphetamines in the, oh. in, in the, mid, the kind of early 60s as well, which was unfortunately a touring thing for bands to use amphetamines in order okay. to keep up your energy right. on the constant grind of touring. That makes sense. And people probably didn't understand at that point how addicted they were. Right. Yeah. Like people um, prescribing um, morphine and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And... Particularly Don Everly, who actually collapsed on stage while they were in Great, in Great Britain. Oh, wow. Uh, because of probably from an overdose of pills and uh, had to be had to be sent back to the U.S. And their bass player had to take his part in the group and finish out the tour. So by 1967, the group was kind of casting around for what, you know, their, what could stop their sales slide. They were still selling really well in Canada. They're still selling really well in England. It was mm. just for whatever reason, America wasn't embracing them any longer. And uh, so probably like doing kind of sunshine pop inflected songs seemed like a, like a good idea. Uh, the producer, Dick Glasser, uh, had worked with the Everleys on, I think on the last like five albums, hmm. he produced them, including their album Two Yanks in England, which is a really interesting album because it's the Everly Brothers backed by the Hollies. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, it is, it's kind of a fun, some fun record. Now on this record, on um, the Everly Brothers Sing, the Everly Brothers bassist, Terry Slater, is credited with all the original compositions on the album. But I, it's suspected that that they wrote stuff. They wrote the songs yeah. and, and gave them to him, so that they didn't have to give any publishing credit to 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 Leslie Rose, right? Who they were still. I think it was Wesley Rose. I keep saying Leslie Rose. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, Leslie was a common man's name at the time. Huh? Let me look back at my notes. You said Leslie first. Did I say Leslie first? Yeah. Uh, 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 Wesley Rose. I'm sorry, everyone. Oh, okay. Wesley Rose. I misspoke. But there we go. Anyway, great song, I think. I, when I first heard the song, I just loved it. I love the horn at the beginning. I love the vocals in it. I love mm-hmm. the, the way mm-hmm. they sing the opening part of the song, you know, when you're feeling down and no one else is around. And, and this, I just love that. And then, you know, on the village green, uh, down the city scene, da da da. It's so, it's so nice. And on the same album, there's a song on there called Bowling Green, which is also kind of a reference to a village green. Okay. Which I guess is something that you, you see green space like that more commonly in the South, which is what right. they're singing about. And that's another great song from that album called Bowling Green. But uh, this song, I think, is the highlight for me. Anyway, I just love the, I love the singing and I love the the instrumentation and the the vocals are fantastic. But anyway, enough about me. So, what about Stephen Malkmus and this song, Mama? And by the way, Mary. Yes. There's gonna be a fantastic 
um, transition between this song and the next song. Okay. I think. Wait, between the Everly Brothers song? Or no, between between okay. uh, Mama and the next song, yeah. Okay. But let's look, give a listen to Mama by Stephen Malkmus and the Jicks, if you prefer, because they are credited on the back of the album. Uh, here we go. Stephen Malcolm's and the Jicks. Usually you don't like him. Yes. Where'd you fall down on this one? I think I had a a reaction. I didn't know this was a Stephen Malcolm's song. Okay. Until just now. All right. I think I had a reaction I've never had to a Stephen Malcolm's song before. Okay. Which was that I thought it was fine. Okay. <laughs> I said, didn't stand out particularly. Yeah. I thought it was kind of a filler. Probably is a bit of a filler. I would agree with you. I think I had a, I had a three minute gap. Right. And I was like, Stephen Malcolm's. And what I would do, Mary, here's a little tip for you, everybody. If you're looking for fill a three-minute gap with iTunes, you click on the time. 
and it filters by time. It will filter by time, and then you can go down, and then you can look through your three-minute songs, and you go, nope, 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 because like like I say, I, I was running out of songs for this. But anyway, I wouldn't say that because this song is really great too. I think. I think all the songs have been quite good. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Uh, this is. Uh, let's go to the next song then. Yeah. We all, we we enjoyed We've talked Mama. About Stephen Malcolm. Talked about Stephen Malcolm before. Let me just say, let me just say, this song was recorded pretty much solo by Malcolm in his his studio in his basement in Portland. Oh, okay, so it wasn't the Jicks as it, well. The Jicks played on it. The drummer played on most of the songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the Jicks played on songs. Not necessarily together. Okay. They contributed to songs. Right. And I think they played four songs on the album, including Mama. Mm, with okay. like a full band song. But anyway, let's move on to the next song, everyone, because I'm so excited to hear this song. I love this song so much. <laughs> so this is uh, this is Gwen McRae mm-hmm. with her song... Rocking Chair. Rocking Chair, yeah, that's right. From the album, Rocking Chair, from 1975. Great. Let's give it a listen. Mm-hmm. 
And we're back. Mary. Yes. Rock and chair. Fantastic. It's such a good song, right? It's great. It's a great song. It's. I think it's, you can't not like this song. Yeah. Like if you like soul music, mm-hmm. then you'll like this song. Yeah. Because it's a great song. Yeah. There's nothing to dislike about it. <laughs> no, it's so good. It's fantastic. So good. Her singing's great. The song is great. Uh, and it's obviously, it's not quite, I, you know, obviously it kind of falls into the, into disco, which, which I have no problem with. I so enjoy, you, I enjoy you, lots of disco. Are you but... saying it falls into disco by sound or by year? I think by sound, like it's kind of proto disco to me. It's not quite there yet. Like, but it's disco of the Miami sort. Okay. Okay. Because it was a TK Records song and TK Records was Miami based, the home of Casey and the Sunshine Band. Okay, yes. And I think you can hear a lot of Casey and the Sunshine Band in this, in this music. Yeah, now that you say it, definitely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can also hear a lot of George McRae's Rock Your Baby in this song as well, obviously. You know that song, right? Georgia McRae? George McRae. George McRae. Yeah. Are they related? Yes, they were husband and wife. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So he had, he had a hit song on TK Records mm-hmm. in 1974, a giant seller, 11 million sales in, in America, of Rock Your Baby. And it... It's a great song. It's even better on the album, in my opinion, because it's longer. Right. But and that was a song that was um, had you know like uh, Harry Casey of Casey and the Sunshine Band and Richard Finch of Casey and the Sunshine Band playing on it, and it had uh, it was I don't know if it was written. I didn't should have looked up who wrote it. And I think it might have been Clarence Reed who wrote it. Clarence Reed definitely wrote co-wrote this song. Clarence Reed was kind of Henry Stone, who was the owner of um, TK Records. TK Records was named. After the sound engineer who built the studio in okay. in in uh, in the uh, above in the attic above his offices above Henry Stone's offices, they put in an eight track studio in in the attic above his offices. Cool. And the guy who did it was named Terry Kane. And so uh, Henry Stone named his record or his record label TK Records. That's funny. In honor of Terry Kane. Well, yeah, but the thing about it sounds great until you realize that that Henry Stone also had um, glasses over here because I don't need them in the dark. Uh, he also had um, he also had record label. He also had Alston. Okay. Glades. Okay. Drive. Okay. Dash. Okay. Sunshine Sound. Uh huh. Cat. Uh huh. Clouds. Wow. Juana. Yeah. Marlin. Uh huh. And more. Okay. And so now I always used to wonder why. I mean, he was we, probably just looking for names at this point. We we were talking about this a little while ago, and I'll mention it again because I've I've always wondered why band or why record labels. Like say Scepter Records, which had Jewel and other other uh, subsidiary. Why they did that? But the reason was, is because it was illegal. It was illegal for labels to monopolize the charts. Right. So you had to have a bunch. And so if you had a bunch of different a bunch of different artists signed to different labels, then you could have like multiple artists in in the uh, in the charts. Right. I don't sense. think it was like a legal like a law that you get arrested for, but I just mean like a rule of of the you know of the uh, the music business people right. who, the people who ran like the billboard charts whatever yeah they'd be like oh okay so like we've got this song by apple yeah up here so we're not going to put in this other song by apple yeah, yeah like yeah yeah so um yeah so you could have like so for instance um george mccray was signed to tk records like mm-hmm. like i don't even, actually you may not even been signed to tk records i know that's um cases and sunshine band were but gwen mccray was signed to cat records oh, okay so yeah it's uh it's interesting so so now Henry Stone, who who uh, kind of co-ran TK Records with a guy named Steve Alamo, who was like a '60s uh, teen idol singer. Right. He had a right-hand man named Clarence Reed. Okay. Who was kind of his talent spotter, 
wrote a lot of wrote a bunch of songs like he wrote rock and chair as i say and now clarence reed also had this crazy alter ego okay this kind of like dolomite like character named blowfly okay who was like this kind of proto rapper right obscenity laced yeah uh you know stories that he would tell in these kind of rhymes and okay, stuff like that okay. you know like the kind of thing that dolomite did right right and that, that was kind of his character though gotcha and uh but as part of, you know not only that he also like wrote all these beautiful songs and played on them and hmm. produced them and you know it's just so weird right yeah, <laughs> yeah. just like a, a man of many many talents many talents all that's in right. one industry <laughs> that's right and some of them some of them you could show your mother <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah um and there's um there's one song on the album credited to uh harry casey um but yeah, like I say, most of them are written by by Clarence Reed. And Rock and Chair was co-written by Steve Alamo, a- a- the co-owner of the label as well. So, okay. So yeah, but it's a great song, right? It's so fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fun and and uh, yeah, just not quite. Yeah, not doesn't. And what's nice about it is it has that great, real charming, like kind of Miami shuffle to it, and and kind of mix, miss, misses out on those kind of corny elements of disco. Right. That's uh, kind of unappealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it doesn't. I don't think it sounds particularly disco. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't, I don't think that it's like being sort of. I don't think it's pigeonholing itself by making it like no, no, sound too much like the genre. No, no, I agree, I agree. No, I, I think if you said to someone it's disco, they'd be kind of like, well, no, not really, because it doesn't have the dun 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 dun, yeah. you know, or the swirling strings and those sort of things. So it, it does. It's missing out on the tropes of disco, but mm-hmm. it, it it's kind of like the Philly, like the stuff from from you know uh, from. Um, uh, Gamble and Huff on uh, Phil, Phil, uh, Phil, was it Philadelphia International? I don't know. What was the name of their label? I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. I should be asking you this. I know, and I can't remember. It's not quite, it's not entering my mind what it was called. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Just like people in, with Gamble and Huff, you know, they're like the proto disco. Like they're not really disco, but they they're leading into the disco sounds. Like people are going to take those sounds and they're going to amplify those elements of the song and create disco. Because what disco was was DJs would take the parts, the songs that the audience reacted most strongly to, and they would edit them into like mix disco mixes. Oh, okay. And so then, when and when those mixes became more and more popular, musicians would then duplicate them in the studio to create the disco songs. Oh, okay, okay. Right, and so they're duplicating what the DJs were were taking out of the parts they liked out of the you know Philadelphia songs or from TK Studios or whoever you know because there's right. lots of there's lots of groups kind of moving towards this direction mm-hmm. in sounds right with. And uh, so, yeah, so that was basically what happened. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. And kind of like, um, kind of like with, one thing we didn't mention with Power Pop, when we were talking about the nerves, was that Power Pop. I think Pop, you mean the worms? <laughs> the worms. Kind of like with, um, with Power Pop, it was kind of like disco. Like, at some point, it gets so popular that there's a, there's a backlash. So what happened with Power Pop was the, the group, the LA-based group, The Knack, who had this ginormous hit with a song called My Sharona caused a backlash to power pop and power pop suddenly became persona non grata in the business in the industry and record labels stopped signing power pop bands hmm. and people stopped buying the records and most of the bands broke up by the mid 80s you know and my sharona yeah that's right and the same thing kind of happened with disco right it got super popular so overwhelmingly popular yeah. that there was a backlash against it and it just got wiped out and even though there was still some disco happening afterwards nothing to the point nothing like the popularity of of before right i think the last kind of disco song would would be um lips incorporated's funky town would be probably one of the very last disco hits you know 
Hmm. After that, nothing. You know, it take a it take a long time before people kind of return to disco sounds. Anyway. Right. Was disco sort of the first most mainstream black sounds in music? Uh, like, was it more mainstream than soul music? Like for white people? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was more embraced for right. sure as a as a cultural thing, uh, and and then it was just came out at a time of incredible excess as well. You know, unlike Motown or or R and B music of the '60s, like no matter how popular it got, it was kind of there was kind of a ceiling to the popularity. But by the time you get to the '70s, it you know the the '70s was like the 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 decade of with no limits. You know, right? Like there's no limits to what we we will do or what we can do or how much we will do. Right. Yeah. So you know, it was just like a, a huge excessive thing that that just kind of overwhelmed itself. It was like it was like it was like a sailing ship. They were sailing along the water, and they decided to put up 506 sails. Mm, yeah. You know, and then the whole thing was just like the disaster. And that's kind of what happened near the end. Like when I was in grade six, like disco was super popular, super popular. Like mm-hmm. when we, we would have sock hops. That's what the girls called them anyway. Can we have a sock hop? We took off our shoes to dance yeah. in the, on the carpet in the music room. And that, you know, that was lasted for, you know, that year. But by the time I was in grade seven, disco was over. Pretty much, I'm pretty sure, by, well, maybe not by grade seven. No, probably grade eight. 1980, yeah, 1980. Sorry, 1980, yeah. So by grade eight, it was done. Like, no one no one wanted disco anymore. It was all about rock and roll looking, and everything was rock and roll. But not power pop. Hmm. A different kind of rock and roll, right? Yeah. Like, kind of more, kind of kind of different, kind of lamer in a way to me. Like, more kind of like taking, taking its inspiration from something different. Not from British Invasion music like power pop did, but from, but from kind of like... Uh, like bands like CCR and stuff like that kind of kind of became the model for bands. I th- I feel like in the in the in the eighties. Right. You're not a CCR fan. Oh, I like CCR a lot. Oh, okay. But I don't really like the recycled stuff that came about, like John Cougar Mellencamp. Right. You don't or like Bruce everyone trying to sound like CCR. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I feel that's what they're drawing for more, like kind of roots music of a sort, you know. Right. Uh, but and that kind of became the sound, and then of course then hair metal started. And, ugh, look out! <laughs> Nobody's happy then. All right, let me just turn on my flashlight. For our final song. Our final song of the night, everyone. This is um, the final song. And Mary, guess what? What? Canadian content. Finally. Yeah. This is a local band, Chilliwack, everyone. Um, Chilliwack began. Where did, who did they begin as, Mary? The Collectors. Almost right. What? They started off as the Sea Fun Classics, named oh. after a popular local AM radio station that was kind of the... Uh, the rock radio station of, of the day. Seafun? Seafun had all the popular... Well, it was between LG73, CKLG, and Seafun. Right. So this, there was uh, LG73 and Seafun, one of those stations that you liked. I was a CKLG listener when I was a kid because mm-hmm. they played uh, the B-52s okay. and the Reptiles and groups like that. Okay. Whereas Seafun tended to stick more to more kind of standard sounds. didn't really get that gotcha. adventurous. Like you could hear Nick Lowe and stuff on uh, on CKLG. Oh, okay, so CKLG was like the peak of its day. Of its day, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The peak is like the the radio station here where you'll hear like maybe some Fleet Foxes. Yeah, maybe if you're lucky. If you're lucky, yeah. But when when songwriter guitarist Bill Henderson joined and singer as well joined the uh, classics, they became the Collectors. Mm-hmm. They signed a rec- They signed a contract with with. Um, Reprise Records. Well, actually, they signed a contract with with a different company. With um, what was that record label called? Now, darn it all. I want to say it's Valiant, but I'm not sure. Shoot, they the one that the association were with as well. 
they had a few different bands and when they sold they sold they sold their their record their label to to reprise and so suddenly all these bands went from being on valiant he said with a question mark to reprise records i'm sorry i can't remember the name of the record label i should do more research i guess but you can't research everything you can't you can't and you can't remember everything either no because if you did you wouldn't be a human being you would be <laughs> wikipedia it's called me wikipedia or what's that guy's name ken jennings ken jennings yes that's right the jeopardy champion yeah so um the collectors recorded two albums for reprise uh, their self-titled de- debut album, which featured the great song Lydia Purple. Yes, fantastic. And? Mm-hmm. And then their second album. No, no, no. And the song She, Bracket, Will of the Wind. Oh, that's right. That's, that's a very good, good song, too. too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then uh, and then they also did Grass and Wild Strawberries, which was um, based on the musical score they did for a play of the same name by, by Canadian playwright George Riga. Hmm. And also they did the excellent single-only Looking at a Baby. Yes. Which is a great song as well. Uh, then original vocalist Howie Vickers left the band in 1969, and so to mark that change, they changed their name to Chilliwack, which is a city east of Vancouver, you may located know in the Fraser Valley. As the city that I live in, <laughs> you may know that it. I reference sometimes. <laughs> you may know it as where Mary lives. That's right. Uh, when I grew up, it was a million miles away. <laughs> no one would dream of going to Chilliwack. I remember going there with my friend's dad. They, he lived next door. His dad worked for Labatt's, and he was in the marketing department. And so he was something to do with like a rodeo out at the fairgrounds, the original old fairgrounds in the middle of downtown Chilliwack. And I'm sorry, there's a rodeo fairgrounds in the middle of downtown Chilliwack? Yeah, there's a park there still. Do you know where the theater's located? Oh! That used to be the fairgrounds there, yeah. That's, um... Like the, like that's... the, 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 the you know, the, not the movie theater, but like the... No, 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 I know what you're talking about. Animal Control's right near there. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah that used to, there's all the trees and a ring around it. That was a racetrack. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, you can kind of see the remnants of it still. Oh, interesting. I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Go drive past there. It's right near the hospital too, right? Mm, I don't know. It's oh. downtown anyway. Yeah. Right near downtown. Right near like the bookman and stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I know what you're talking about. So, um, yeah, so I went there with my friend's dad, my friend and my friend's dad, and I was like, it was like we drove him to the moon to get to this place. Oh my God. <laughs> well, that's how I used to feel when we would go to Island 22. Yeah, yeah. When um, we were kids. It was worse though, because I was driving from Delta. Yeah, to, totally. From North Delta to... Uh, Chilliwack. Although, at least here we were close to the freeway. But when we were going out to Island 22, we were bringing the horses. Mm, that's true. So we'd have to go from here to whatever barn yeah. and pack up the horses and do all that nonsense <laughs> and then drive there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is true. So um, so at this point, the band consisted of Henderson, Glenn Miller on bass and guitar and vocals, Rick Turney on drums and Claire Lawrence on flute, saxophone, keyboards, and vocals as well. Because the group actually met at UBC. They were all in choir together. They were all choral singers. Cool. And that is why they were used by, uh, I believe it was Bones Howe. Good old Bones Howe. Good old Bones Howe, who produced the association. But he he also, anyway, someone, oh no, it wasn't Bones Howe. It was Dave Hassinger, who was working with the Electric Prunes. And he decided to do this... Uh, Pretty much, it was like in the Electric Prunes in name only. Like, very few of the Electric Prunes had anything to do with this album. Uh, it was called Mass in F Minor. It was like this faux classical piece done as like a rock rock thing. Okay. Uh, and he hired the um, the collectors to provide vocals for the album because they were such accomplished vocalists. As I, like, their vocals are so good because that's where they were trained in. But anyway, so um, then Claire Lawrence left the band in 1971. Oh, wait, sorry. Yep. What's the name of the song that we're playing? Did we play the song yet or didn't? No. Oh, we didn't? No. Oh, I'm sorry. I went right into the... Uh... Yeah, that's okay. I got excited, I guess. Yeah. Oh, sorry, everybody. 
I think because you had asked me what the first, what their original name was. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then we started talking about it. Oh, that's right. Oh, shoot. <laughs> it's okay. Let's just play it now. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. Dad. Oh. Dad, it's okay. Oh. What's the name of the song? Nightmares. No. What's the name of the song? It's a perfect show, Mary. We finally were going to do it. Yeah, it's finally going to do the perfect show. Yeah, it's a perfect show. We had a. We're literally sitting in the dark because there is a power outage. That's why it's perfect. We can't (laughs) see the blemishes. What? What's the name of the song? Let's play the song. Okay, let's play the song. This is uh, Chilliwack. The song is called um, "This Flight Tonight." No, that's not what it's called. It's called. um, It's called. um, You have it written down, don't you? Yeah, I got to turn back though because I jumped ahead here. It's called "Fly at Night." It's from their album, Lights in the Valley. They came out in 1970... You didn't write it down? It's two. I think five. Okay. Maybe 1977. I think 1977. It came out in 1977. Um, and this is uh, Fly at Night by uh, And Mary, you got the scritchy scratchy version. Okay. Did you notice that when you are listening to it? No, I didn't. Oh, that's funny. Uh, but I upgraded it since then. So this is, this is the not scritchy scratchy version of uh, Fly at Night. Rock and roll band Fly at night in the morning we land Fly at night till we're satisfied See the morning from the other side And when you close your eyes Sleep comes fast When you fly the universe Well, you need some rest Yeah, you need some rest Faces, 
And we're back. And Mary, huh? you were telling me off mic that uh, you wrote about 15 pages of notes about this song. So I'm curious what you had to say about it. Um, I did not say that. Let's say let's also, hear this little essay that you wrote. Also, yeah. quick note. Yeah. Um. Oh, wait. Sorry. Okay. Uh, go. Wait. What's the album? Oh, Lights from the Valley. Yeah. 1978. 1978. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. What were you gonna say? I was asking what your uh, your essay you wrote about it. Oh, I didn't write an essay about the song. Oh. I said it was really good. I just did very good, and then I put four exclamation marks. I didn't realize it was Chilliwack, though. Oh, okay. Which is funny, because I know this song. Yeah. I think I was just kind of, I don't know. You started thinking about it. Not maybe. paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which, you know, sometimes. No, it is a great song. You're right. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And also, something we should mention mm-hmm. is that my elementary school grade four teacher's <laughs> yes. husband yes. used to be in this band. Well, he was in the Collectors. He was Howie he was Vickers. He was in the Collectors. He was Howie Vickers, who, who left the group. And his uh, real name was Vickberg. Yes, but he didn't think that was rock and roll enough. But he co-wrote Looking at a Baby. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That is true. Yep. Um, so actually, they had a lot of trouble making this album, Mary. And it's a very good album. It has some of my favorite Chilliwack songs on in it, including okay. Baby Blue, which is another. goes into my Baby Blue collection. Right. Also, mm-hmm. sorry, I just want to say that yep. the valley, yeah. I imagine, is the Fraser Valley. I would think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which is where we live. Where we live, where they live. Very beautiful. Bill Henderson place. was from uh, Langley. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay, cool. So... Yeah, so Lawrence, Claire Lawrence, left the band in 1971. Okay. So he uh, picked up his saxophone and went home. Right. And and so they went. They played as a four as a three piece for a while, and then in 1973, a guy named Howard Froze joined on guitar and keyboards. And it was this group that began working on this, the band's seventh album. Now, as I was going to say, the recording process was tortuous, to put it mildly. Um, they were working. They generally worked on their own. Like they just produced themselves. They had done that the whole their whole their whole career and 
Let me just say that Chilliwack were a really great band. Yeah, totally. And the reason that we don't know that people don't know about them is because they just had really bad business decisions behind them. In they released four albums. Well, they released they released six albums by this point on five different labels. Three of those albums were called Chilliwack, <laughs> not by their choosing, but because when it was reissued by a different label in the states, they would change the name of the album to Chilliwack. So it, albums kept coming out as Chilliwack rather than as whatever that was called before that. It was really silly. It is silly, because then people would go and say, oh, Chilliwack, I have that album already. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so... like most people, when they see um, a record and say, see the title of it and yeah. say, oh, well, I already own that one, they don't pick it up and look at the track listing to be like, oh, maybe it's a different one than the one that I have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They just maybe think it's just been reissued with a new cover. Yeah, exactly. So, um, no, like I say, they were producing themselves, and... Uh, they basically recorded the album twice, but they are two distinct recordings. Okay. They they wrote new songs mm-hmm. and recorded new songs for two albums. Hmm. At this point, the record label Mushroom Records, which was based here in Vancouver, there was a famous studio here in Vancouver for many years called Mushroom Studios before it was bought and weirdly shipped wholesale back to Toronto. <laughs> Strange. Uh, but at this point, Mushroom Records uh, stepped in and insisted that the group bring in a producer, someone to oversee what they were doing. And they and the studio gave them this outside producer named Marc Gilutin. I, I'm just going to give him a French pronunciation of his name. That is strangely like Guillotine, but it's not. Huh. Uh, and now he came in and he produced a third distinct set of tracks <laughs> for their album. Uh, at some point in this process, Howard Froze quit the, quit, quit the band. I guess this was too much for him. They said, you know what? Three times is not a charm. And he left. Yeah. And so... Guitarist Brian McLeod was brought in, and then Jimmy Bowers, who was a guitarist and keyboardist, also came as well. Brian McLeod stayed on with the band for the next four albums. Jimmy Bowers did not stick around. Now, when the album was completed, it was released, and it, to me, it's a really good album. It's really great, but it did not get much attention because there was because Mushroom Records was going through a really difficult time at this moment because they were in a locked in a death or a battle to the death with the Heart with the band Heart. Oh, okay who had been signed with Mushroom Records, but had broken their contract to sign with CBS. Mm. And so then Mushroom had, without their permission, issued a, ba- a, a album called Magazine against their wishes, claiming that they'd broken their contract and right. they had the right to do that. Now, Hart, sued, Hart took them to court yeah. in the States and won the case. Why? Well, the judge agreed with him that the album shouldn't have been released without their permission. Right. Because it was their album as well. Right. Now... It was still agreed that it belonged to Mushroom Records. So Hart came in and they finished it. They did overdubs and, and added instruments to it and okay. finished the album. And it was re-released by Mushroom. Right. Simultaneously with their new album from CBS, which was Dreamboat Annie. Right. Which was originally supposed to come out on Mushroom Records. But what happened was some wag at Mushroom Records decided it would be funny to do a um, do an, an ad for, for Dreamboat Annie featuring the, the image from the album cover, which is of the... To the two women in the band, Anne and Nancy Wilson, yeah, um, with their back to back, with uh, sort of naked from the shoulders down. Like you can't see them nude, but you can. Okay. If you're a guy, you can imagine that they are. Right. I imagine women would look at it and go, "They're probably wearing a dress." <laughs> but guys are like, "Hey!" But uh, so they put out an ad with this image on it, and it said, um, "It says something like it's not their first time either." Ugh. And Ugh. yeah, and so they really objected to this and they decided they didn't want to be involved with this company anymore. And That's so they, fair. yeah, 
they had their, they had their choice. So because of all these issues with uh, Mushroom Records having no money because they were locked in this legal battle, well, promotion died, the album right. died, and that was it for the album. And also oh, the album and the album was released on a different label in the States, but it was just a small label down there as well, and it got no distribution. So it really died, died a death twice, really. It's too bad. Because saying that, this album is ubiquitous in all the used record bins in the Lower Mainland. Yeah. You can walk in any valley village <laughs> on any given week and you will probably see a Chilliwack album in there right. from this era. Yeah. You, know? you won't. It's hard to find the earlier ones, like Chilliwack or yeah. uh, uh, whatever, the other Chilliwack, the third Chilliwack album. I was at a used record store a while ago and um, I think I saw like six yeah. different Chilliwack. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I've got a bunch of them too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. including this one. This is why. This is why uh, for for poor Pierce, he got a scritchy, scratchy version right. of the song because I just I just had a recording off of the record, but um, I I replaced it with a CD a couple of years ago. So, oh, okay, that's good. Because I said, you know what, I love this album, and I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it in a non-scritchy, scratchy version. <laughs> You're gonna get a version of it that you can listen to. Yeah, I think I actually have two two record versions of it. One is a little less scritchy, scratchy, but. Yeah, that's the other problem with buying used records, of course, is that they're listened to by humans. Yes. And they're from the 70s when records were made like garbage. Yeah. But there you go, everyone. That's side one of Pierce's mixtape. Pierce's second mixtape. Pierce's second. Oh, thank you, dear. Pierce's second mixtape. Yeah. I hope everyone enjoyed that bit of fun. So, Mary, before our battery dies on our, on our recording here, mm-hmm. let's tell our lovely friends out there how they can contact us. Because well, we love to hear from you. Yes, we do. Well, you can reach us at our website, which is sneakydragon.com, or on Facebook at Sneaky Dragon, or on Twitter at Sneaky underscore Dragon, or via email at SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. Cool. You can also listen to Dad's many other podcasts, <laughs> which are found on SneakyDragon.com or on iTunes. That's true. They're all there. Sneaky Dragon. Yep. Fan, the Fansplainers. That's one. Uh, completely Beatles, That's but another. spelled funny. Yep. Totally Tintin. That's another one. And complete no full marks. That is. Did I get one. all of them? I think. Oh, I think you did. Shoot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> did you get all the shows? Did you ask? Yeah. I think Let I've me got think them. now. Did you get Listening Party? Well, they're listening to that one already. Yeah. Don't forget to tell them to listen to it though. Okay. Well, listen to our show, Listening Party. Yeah. Get to it. Stop. Stop wasting time. Yeah. And get listen to Listening Party, everybody. Yeah. Get on it right now. Enough lollygagging. Yeah. I don't want to see any of you procrastinators out there putting this off. Well. It's time. He the, who hesitates is lost, as they say. They're at the end of the most recent episode. What? This is Listening Party? Yeah. Oh, well, then forget about it. So, don't yeah, worry. I don't, don't, don't listen. Be, I don't know if we should be reprimanding them for listening to our show. I, I apologize, everyone. Okay. Thanks, Dad. No problem. All right. Well, bearing that in mind, Mary. Yes. I think what we should say is it's dark in here. <laughs> it is dark in here. I keep bumping my mic because I can't see it. <laughs> It's 10 o'clock at night right now. It's uh, quite late. It's dark. And it's dark. And Mary is famously scared of the dark. That's not true, but okay. You're not scared of the dark? No. Well, that's good. Good for you. Fist bump. Good job. Good aim in the dark, too. That's good. I'm not I'm not, a, I'm not. afraid of no dark, either. I think... when I, I don't even think I was afraid of the dark that much when I was a kid. No, you weren't. You were pretty brave. I always wanted to have the light in the hallway off, and Eve wanted it on. Eve is afraid of the dark. Does not enjoy the dark. No. I couldn't sleep with the light on, though. I still can't sleep with lights on. No, I don't like it, either. I know. I just I can't fall asleep with lights on. Yeah, Duncan can. He can fall asleep anywhere. <laughs> he can fall asleep in like an airport, <laughs> which to me is like the the number one place I could not fall asleep. Why? 
loud, yeah, bright, yeah, stressful, okay, lots of strangers, yeah, uncomfortable chairs. Need you go on, really? You're 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 right on all those points. I have slept in an airport, but I agree with you. Or did I sleep in the airport? No, I guess I didn't. I think I sat and read a book. I can't think of anywhere that would be worse to sleep. Yeah. To try to fall asleep than an airport. It's so bright. Every airport has those like massive windows. Um, do you want to ask me what book I was reading in this airport at four in the morning, Mary? What book are you reading in this airport at four? In the- I was reading In Praise of Folly by the Catholic writer Erasmus. Strange. Why were you reading that? I don't know. I heard I heard it was funny, so I was reading it. Was it funny? I'm probably funny in in Erasmus's day. Right. For me, I thought it was a little dry. They're like, <laughs> he's like making jokes about like what some other what some other Catholic said last week. Yeah, yeah. They're like, okay. He's like, here are these hilarious reasons not to eat fish on Friday. <laughs> so get them. <laughs> Everyone knows Dutchie will like top ten lists. Yeah. He's like, he's like, here are twelve reasons why Martin Luther's theses were wrong. <laughs> That's right. Here's twelve reasons why Martin Luther is a big dork. <laughs> Number one, have you seen that hat he wears? Am I right? It's like number two. There's another list. It's like it's like top ten, top ten saints. <laughs> it's, it's basically just like a bunch of BuzzFeed listicles. <laughs> That's all it was. That's why it's such a folly to read it. Yeah. Oh, what a waste of time. Yeah. You're like this is you're you're like I guess this was like I guess this was relevant at the time, but now I'm like man, I don't know. <laughs> that's true yeah. yep top five pa- papal bulls <laughs> you'll never believe what the pope said <laughs> <laughs> that's right this village woman does this one thing and it keeps her out of hell <laughs> <laughs> local priests hate her <laughs> very good mayor i'm basically just repeating like the chum bucket oh that's fun of websites yeah that's great that's good yeah good stuff that was that was rich thank you thank you i appreciate that i i I lulled okay everyone well before the machine turns off the show for us let us say goodbye to you all goodbye goodbye and take care